This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 148. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and welcome to the show. On episode 148 we are here. We are kicking off the next 10 weeks of podcast content. This is the annual Teapots Summer Top 10 series. That's right, this is a tradition dating back 5 years ladies and gents. This is our 5th annual Teapots Top 10 series and to say that this one is the most difficult would be a hella understatement. This is going to be the most arduous task I have ever put together for podcasts under the stairs. Now, for the new listeners, um, this might all seem a bit convoluted and over the top for the old listeners that rattled through the same format last year on our 70s series, you kind of know the flow but we'll mix some things up. So I'm going to go right back to the beginning and explain the rules from scratch. Right, what we are aiming to do here on the next 10 weeks is create the definitive list of 80s horror movies. Spanning the entire decade, we will create a top 10 list. Agreed, approved, and scored by myself and the 10 guest hosts that will be joining me throughout this series. Now, each episode will feature two of those guest hosts mixed and matched all the way through. How do we create this top 10 list? I hear you cry. There's tons of lists out there. They cover the 80s. We're safe. We know what the top 10 movies are. I'm fairly sure Shock Till You Drop has one. I'm sure that Bloody Disgusting has one. All these sites have them out there. Well, yes, they do. But I don't think they are well representing the entire decade. So I developed a little thing called the Noah's Ark rules. What will happen is each episode will have a short list of 10 movies representing that year. So for example, on this episode, we're looking at 1980. We will bring in 10 movies, which we think are the top 10 movies from 1980 on personal taste alone, not on scoring or what websites have said. These are on taste alone. We will have 10 movies. We will then, at the end of this episode, unanimously agree on two movies to take forward to the end list. Now I know what you're saying. Duncan, what happens if 1980, for example, has three of the best horror movies of all time? Well, unfortunately, only two of those movies go forward. It's the Noah's Ark rules. The movies go through from each year two by two. What we will have at the end of this series is a list of 20 movies, two for each year. 
I will then mock them up and send them out to my 10 guest hosts who will score them all. So their number one movie will get 20 points and then working their way down to their least favourite movie which will get one point. I will then tabulate the scores up collectively creating the definitive top 10 list using Noah's art rules for the podcast under the stairs. But we ain't finished here, ladies and gents, not by a long shot. We will also factor in a little bit of audience participation. That's right, we will put the list out and give you one week, one week, ladies and gents, to vote back in on that one, to let us know if you agree. And we'll take the audience score and bring that forward and see how we get on with that. And then I will do a cross-tabulation right at the very end, bringing the audience list and the host list together to create the definitive Teapot's Top 10 series using those arc rules. So there we go. That's what we're going to be doing. So each episode, two guests. Each episode will also have 10 movie reviews. So you can imagine that these episodes will run along. Point of fact, at the release of this episode, the first five are in the can. And I can tell you right now, ladies and gents, oh, that's right. The first five episodes each run over three hours long. So be warned, beware, and get yourself ready. So generally, I would do a lot of preamble at these shows. Ain't getting any of that on these episodes. There's so much stuff to cover and so little time to do it in. So I'm going to take my first break of this show. You are going to hear the intro track for our brand new series. It's Summer Teapot's Top 10 series looking at the best of the 1980s. When I come back, I'll be joined by two fantastic guests, Bo Ransdell and Doug Tilly and 10 awesome movies. All that and more coming right up, right after this. 11.55, almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. One more story before 12. Get the video show, long live the new flesh! What do you think this is all about? You think this is a fucking costume? This is a way of life. This is a fucking war! The book is bound in human flesh and inked in human blood. This is God. Don't you know who I am? The missiles are flying. The ice is gonna break! The missiles are flying. Don't you know who I am? The missiles are flying. The ice is gonna break! Don't you know who I am? The missiles are flying. The ice is gonna break! We'll tear your soul apart. Fuck with me! 
Good news and bad news, girls. Good news is your dates are here. Bad news. They're dead. Okay. Welcome back. Here we go, ladies and gents. This is it. This is us kicking off what will be a 10-week journey into a hundred movies over a decade, most commonly known as the 1980s. We are going to take on the dizzying highs of the genre, which has been described by many people, and I would have to agree. Um, one of the most productive decades and a decade that delivered some of the finest quality in horror. But also, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, some pure shit. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of shit peppered in here. Maybe not on our lists, but we'll find out. Uh, joining me at the very start, I kind of feel like if you're going to go off and do 10 weeks of a great podcast journey, that you need to start off with your best foot first. And with that in mind, I asked... These two guests to join me here. Truth be told, Google randomly selected them. But I think me and Google have each other. We've kind of figured out now. We've got each other's back. Uh, joining me on this episode is um, two fantastic podcasters that have been on before. They did the whole series last year and came back for more Mad Men. Absolutely mad. The first is um, a podcast compadre of mine. We do a, a series of shows, most commonly nowadays looking at TV shows, although it started off looking at movies. Um, so he's one half of Duncan and Bo Come Correct, the hints in the name of the show who it is. Uh, he also does the Hero Hero Go show. He does the Pick 6 Films podcast. He does um, the Shodden Devour for the, the podcast. Yeah, Devour the podcast, Shodden for the Gaming. Um, he runs Legion Podcast Network. And when he's on some downtime, loves 16th century French poetry and running... Naked on the beach. One of them is legal. <laughs> one of them is legal. The other one isn't. I will leave that up to you. It's of course the fantastic Bo Ransdell. How you doing, Bo? I'm doing uh, absolutely splendidly, sir. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. I'm very excited. I, I, I I'm, I'm kind of giddy to get into this list because there are some absolutely amazing movies that we're going to have to discuss, and then also say from the knowledge that we're going to have to discard most of them. So, yay. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, you know, it is truly the spirit of the show, which is to look at true works of art in some cases, point at them and say, you are not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's literally it. Point at these lovely pieces of art and then shun them from a safe distance behind a keyboard and a microphone. That's how I roll, Bo. That's how I roll. Uh, joining us... Um, is another fantastic but I'm blessed I purely am this man is probably out of the three of us Bo I, I hate to say it but this guy's maybe the most famous now since the last time yeah. I spoke to him he is he is he is sat on the same stage the man that he has dedicated a podcast to and asked questions he went out to fucking lunch with him I mean I was watching them I don't get jealous often because I'm Scottish, I, my, my predisposition <laughs> is hatred and not jealousy. Um, and I was looking at him going, if, not only is he sitting with Eric Roberts, but he's having a fucking good time, fuck! 
because I was kind of hoping maybe Eric Roberts secretly is a dick, but turns out he's actually a really, really nice guy, and Doug got to share some time with him. He is one half of the No Budget Nightmares, one half of the Eric Roberts is the fucking man podcast. He is the fantastic Doug Tilly. How are you doing, sir? It's so great to be here, Duncan. And yeah, I, I am famous, and I'm trying not to let it go to my head, <laughs> but uh, I will say that it's just it's just kind of given me even more reserves regarding my choices Ooh. in these in this series of podcasts that you're doing i feel like my my choices have to be the correct ones because of my level of fame well this is true nowadays fame denotes you know intelligence it notes um you, you know that a, a, a sense of righteousness uh-huh, uh-huh being famous equals competence i mean if if we're not seeing that in the political sphere right now i don't know what to tell you <laughs> Yeah, this is this is true. This is true. We like genuinely were all giddy when we found out that. Well, I was giddy when I found out I was doing 1980, but then I remembered I was doing all the years. So I was like, <laughs> I, was like yeah. I don't know, don't know why I'm getting giddy. I, I get them all. Uh, but like when I like dropped to like like Bo, I think you'd said to me, "There's only two years I want, Duncan." Um, and that is like he did this last year as well, and I think he landed one, if not both of them. And it makes me think that Bo was in cahoots with Google. Um, you know, he might be behind it all. Uh, but Bo was like that one, 1980 and 1982. And um, Bo landed 1980, and he landed, I think he landed 1982 as well, did you? Uh huh. Oh, yeah, that's right. Fuck's sake. You can. I don't want hey, to know what look gets at a, once. <laughs> you know what I mean? Look at a world above Google. My allegiance to, is to Satan, Duncan. Oh, yes. And he's the one making these picks. Yes, yes. My, our dear Lord Satan. Yes. Thank you for giving Bo the two years he wants. I don't want to live in a world where Bo's happy, so uh, let's see if we can unhinge that. Uh, but yeah, we were all super excited when we landed on 1980. Uh, and then I saw the list, and the list made me think, that there's a there's a good few of these movies that I would like to take through, and I know that I can't. Uh, I can only take through two. So the original list of fifteen that we had. Now you may be sitting at home thinking fifteen. That doesn't make sense. It's supposed to be tens. We changed the rules slightly this year. We're doing two guest hosts, which made sense that we divvy it up. So the plan was each of us came to the table with five where one person had brought forward a film, we would try, if we had it on our list, to try and find a film to replace that, thus giving us 15. So we came to the table with 15 movies in total. Each of us got three guaranteed picks, as in no one else could say, well, I don't think that's a great pick, or maybe you want to rethink that. Those three were locked in and were safe, which left one movie overall, and six to choose from. The rule was we had to agree in consensus um, on that final movie, which we did, uh, albeit I had never seen it before, I took a leap of faith that both Bo and Doug would steer me right. We will find out if they did. Uh, but the full list of 15 was Altered States, The Fog, The Shining, Dress to Kill, Maniac, Friday the 13th, Cannibal Holocaust, Inferno, The Changeling, Encounters of a Spooky Kind, The Ninth Configuration, City of the Living Dead, Humanoids from the Deep, Fade to Black, and Motel Hell. I'm just going to say that any day of the week, that's a good night in. That's a party night. You know what I mean? You're tickling all the sweet yeah. spots. Psychological horror, to just downright silliness, to like tense slasher. Um, yeah, we, we, and ghost movies, and we're covering the wide spectrum here. It was a, it was a great list to sit down. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like the this list is not only a good party night, 
it's kind of a nice buffet if someone doesn't watch a lot of horror films. Ooh, yeah. It's like, hey, watch these. One of them is going to be great for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think it really does cover... It was Out of all the years we have, this one, I think, is one of the more diverse years. Um, mm. And it's not dominated by... <laughs> although it does have some absolute behemoths of the genre. As the years move on in the 80s, we are like genuinely spoiled where on any given year, maybe four or five of the Masters of Horrors all have a you know film out that year. Right. Um, and this one, we're still getting a kind of... We're still getting that hangover from the the 70s into the 80s we're still getting a bit of that but it's not huge but we are getting some like stunning work to the point that when scholars look back and talk about horror and talk about the best of horror there are a few from this year alone that are universally seen as up there amongst the greatest so we did have to kind of pick some out though um (laughs) And we did have to, I'm afraid we had to do it. The movies that didn't make it were The Ninth Configuration, City of the Living Dead, Humanoids from the Deep, Fade to Black, and Motel Hell. The first question is to you, Doug Tilly, um, mm-hmm. because you are our resident famous person, which means that your opinion is greater than Bo's, <laughs> so you get to go first. Um, uh-huh. And you're also... That's fair. He's also Canadian, and it's also Canada Day, did you say? It is Canada Day at the time that we're recording this. Absolutely. That, which means that you are, it's like all the powers have aligned together and you're like Captain Planet. Um, <laughs> that's that's how that works. Uh, or Voltron, like all the Canadian powers have come into you. You're famous, you're Canadian, and it's uh, Canada Day, so you are like Voltron constructed out of this. And I'll form the head. <laughs> there you go. See that? Um, and if if I may, Uh-oh. let's be honest here. The real Canadian superhero superhero would be Captain Planet. Yes, just just for clarity's sake. Yes, why is that, Bo? It just seems he... real full of himself, <laughs> trying to save everybody, oh protecting the goodness. world. Shit. Yeah, yeah. There, you, there we go. you both have a very warped view of what Canadians in Canada is all about. That's it. Like there we go. <laughs> I like apparently, apparently, it's all. Looking out for everyone else in the world and doing nothing wrong we, ever. We are obviously space tigers that connect together into a giant robot. I mean, that seems much clearer to be uh, Canada than than this Earth-saving gentleman. <laughs> That's what I thought about Bo. Bo like, <laughs> like, but then we have spoken about Bo before. Let's no, let's not go into that. Um, so we didn't carry over those five movies. Mm-hmm. Having gone back through all these movies. Are you comfortable with those picks? And if, like, just to throw, because I like just to make everyone hate each other right at the start, um, from the ones we didn't put through, is there anything that you were like, yeah, that maybe shouldn't have been in the 10, and I, if I had had my way, I would have substituted this movie for whatever. Or are you quite happy with what we landed on? Duncan is is uh, tiptoeing around the fact that I was the one who pushed through the uh, the the film of these fives uh, of these of the five that that were listed and you know what having rewatched a lot of these movies over the last few days I remain comfortable with a caveat which is that uh, my reasoning for wanting to push it might not necessarily be that it's uh, better in all ways or as polished as some of the movies that, w- that didn't get to go ahead mm-hmm. but I I did want in some ways representation mm-hmm. of something pretty unique that also I don't feel <laughs> is likely 
to be the one that is going ahead when we when all is said and done here today. I feel like representation in this case was more important because I feel like the ones that are likely for us to have a big debate over those final two, um, that that there's probably, you know, four or five on this list that there's no way they're coming close. Can we can we say the one that's going ahead? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- so the one the one from the the the, f- the six that remained where was the one that you kind of pushed forward that I hadn't seen was Encounters of a Spooky Kind. Yeah. So of those ones that were left over that that didn't make the list, I have to say I love the ninth configuration. I really really like it. I would have loved to see that on the list. I think you can make a debate about whether it's a horror movie or mm-hmm. not, but there's going to be a lot of those debates I think over the next few weeks. <laughs> um, and it, it's a movie that I really really like. And I would like to see recognized in a kind of higher state. But uh, one of the things when you see our top 10 is that this is a very Western list. Uh, There isn't a lot of variation. There's a few Italian movies that we're talking about. I just wanted to see at least in one of the years of the 1980s, uh, some Asian horror getting some uh, representation. And this is kind of, I mean, there were Asian uh, and Chinese horror before this, but this is kind of the, the ground zero point which led to things like Mr. Vampire and A Chinese Ghost Story and all those other movies that were to come throughout the 1980s. And while it is not, again, let me repeat, not as polished as some of the other (laughs) movies we're going to be talking about, I still think it's really, really entertaining and it kind of sets those ground rules for what was to come in a very kind of unique genre of horror. There we go. Bo Ransdell, same question to you. Anything that on this list, having gone through it now, you were like... Uh, well, maybe if I had been up to me, I would have swapped this movie for whatnot. Are you quite happy with it? I, I do like the list quite a bit. Uh, I, I think Doug's right that, you know, Encounters of the Spooky Kind lacks the polish of, say, a maniac. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> I see what you're saying there, Bo. Yep, polish. Yep. Uh, but yep. <laughs> that aside... um. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know that, you know, I, as far as a hometown favorite, I like Motel Hell quite a quite a bit. I don't think it's a perfect movie by any stretch, but I, I think it's uh, real goofy fun. But I'll tell you the one that I would be most uncomfortable making this list, <laughs> I think, is Humanoids from the Deep. <laughs> Imagine the conversation. conversation I want to have. Imagine the conversation. Just in the middle of it, we'll just like finish talking about The Shining and then the next movie that comes up is Humanoids from the Deep. I, w- I-, I would have paid money to hear that. I really would have. I- I would've... Yeah. The, the sexier shape of water, as it's known in some circles. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. It's the triple the, the X version of the shape of water. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I'm, I'm going to kind of echo what you, you guys are saying as well. Having gone through back, well, gone back through the list, um, what really struck me, and we kind of touched on it earlier on, was the diversity of the list. And I think that is, to me, more important necessarily than making sure every single movie in here is of the highest you know, caliber or quality. I think sometimes if you are trying to, if you're trying to sit down and justify and kind of tabulate and, uh, and derive the best of a decade, I think you need to try and hit as many of the different facets that the decade is, is covering um, there is an upcoming recording uh, it'll be in the next one actually for 1981 where I very adamantly put in Possession a movie which I know for a fact is loathed by like loads of people mm-hmm. but I think it's very important because I 
can't think of any other movie, um, let alone in 1981, but for most of the 80s as a decade, and since that kind of does what that movie does in the way it does it, um, and that almost instantly makes me want to put it on a list, because I want that to be part of the discussion as well, rather than just having 10 slasher movies, which we could easily do, in any of the first five you know, five years of the 80s and sitting down and, and talking about that is good sometimes to get a wider spectrum and having never seen Encounters of a Spooky Kind and I'm not giving away my cards on this one just yet, Doug um, having never seen it before what I did feel was it was a complete different change of pace and tone from some of the other movies we saw in there and that in itself without even taking into consideration the representation angle was something that I felt like immensely proud of was the fact that we've done this and to be honest when I actually put out I think about a month ahead of the formal picks between all of us I did put out a a kind of notification on Facebook and I did ask for is there any movies you're hoping actually do get mentioned that are sometimes overlooked three people mentioned Encounters of a Spooky Kind which I, at the time I was like, I don't even know what that is, but um, that sounds goofy. And um, yeah, so three <laughs> people had mentioned it. So I think we have maybe given ourselves a bit more cred than we would have necessarily had um, for putting it in here as well. So yeah, it's, it's going to be quite an interesting one with that all in mind. Uh, the movies that we'll be taking forward after the first break are Altered States, The Fog, The Shining, Dress to Kill, Maniac, Friday the 13th, Cannibal Holocaust, Inferno, The Changeling, and Encounters of a Spooky Kind. We have a, a, an absolute <laughs> a, a mental mix of some phenomenal movies here. A couple of video nasties making the list, uh, which makes me kind of happy. Like we said, a couple of Italian movies in there. We're going to have a couple of auteurs um, of the genre delivering what they do. We're going to have Michael Caine in a dress. This is the perfect list. Is, the, is actually the perfect list. Um, so yeah, with that in mind, we're going to take our very first break just now. When we return, we have 10 movies to discuss. So strap yourselves in. Things will either go smoothly or things will go very, very bad. Um, I will leave it to you to decide what one you're hoping for and then hopefully we prove you wrong. We're going to be right back right after this. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try... They must be destroyed on sight! The new Podcast Cure-All. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation. We have Italian horror. We have zombies. We have slashers. We have crime films. We have spaghetti westerns. We even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts... Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. And welcome back. So here we go, 10 movies from 1980. We will be counting down Altered States, The Fog, The Shining, Dress to Kill, Maniac, Friday the 13th, Cannibal Holocaust, Inferno, The Changeling, and Encounters of a Spooky Kind. I will kick us off, ladies and gents, uh, with one of my picks. Um, Now, I will kind of put this out here that 
I get a strong feeling as these recordings go on, none of my picks are going to make the, type, the, the final <laughs> two. Now, there is a reason behind that. There is a reason behind that. It's not because I have a shit taste in films. It's because I tend to go last on the picks. I, I, I like to make sure my guests are happy first, and then I will come in at the end. So the big heavy hitters, the ones that I would tend to opt for first, tend to get picked first, and I'm happy that they're there because I only want the best list possible. And then I kind of come in at the end and pick the ones that I want. Um, with that in mind, um, I was really excited to put this one on the list because I'm a, like a super fan of this director at the best of times. I'm also a super fan of this movie because I think it's unfairly maligned. Um, me and Bo maybe had a chat earlier on where he kind of justified my points that it's unfairly maligned. Um, it is, of course, some guy called Dario Argento and some some little movie that he did as a follow-up to... This other little kind of, this tiny little horror movie called Suspiria, you may have heard it before, it did quite well in the 70s list. Um, he followed it up with his movie called Inferno. So it was directed by him and written by him, produced by Claudio Argento, Salvatore Argento, uh, Guillermo Garoni as William Garoni, and um, it's based on Suspiria di Profundis by Thomas De Quincey. It stars Irene Miracle, Lee McCloskey, Eleonora Giorgi, Daria Nicolodi, and Alidia Valley. Once again, I apologise for my horrible pronunci- uh, pronunciation. <laughs> I'm Scottish, um, and if it's not Joe Smith or Tam, uh, I do struggle. I do struggle quite a bit. Uh, so, so, ho, ho, ho. Um, yeah, so this is definitely, this was like always going to be for me, I think. When it comes to Argento, I am um, super fan, is maybe. Uh, maybe the right statement actually <laughs> I, I, I really am and sometimes that comes at a cost sometimes I will defend things that some people are like Duncan that's kind of indefensible and I'm like well oh really watch this um, so the synopsis for this movie is according to MDB an American college student in Rome and his sister in New York investigate a series of killings in both locations where their residence addresses are the domain of two covens of witches. Um, where to begin with this one? I think I'll 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 put I'll put my stand forward with the defence, the defence of the movie, because I kind of feel like Bo's gonna say things that'll upset me. Um, in fact, I'm putting money on it. Um, I think <laughs> I think there is a predisposition when it comes to Inferno to instantly compare it because it's a loose sequel of sorts Mm. to Suspiria and I don't think that's necessarily a fair way to approach the movie because it is a very different movie Um, Argento was still very much experimenting with styles um, experimenting with story and kind of experimenting with the the, the kind of dreamscape that he was starting to to, to kind of play with after Suspiria. Suspiria was like a runaway success for him. And he's like, yeah, well, people kind of like it when I go a bit crazy. So maybe more crazy equals m- more more love. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think Inferno is not only a beautiful movie. I think it really is. I think it's maybe one of Argento's best shot movies. Um, I think it has some of the best centerpieces. The underwater scene, which... It was a collaboration with him and Mario Bava, who, once again, much Bava love. Um, 
you know, the collaboration that he did with that and that particular scene is is wonderful. I think some of the exterior work in the movie is great. I think some of the shots of horror in the movie are terrifying. And there's an elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is the reveal of the villain is kind of shit, right? I'm the first one to admit that. But the journey before and after the reveal of the villain is kind of fucking amazing. And that's before we get into the wicked, trippy organ soundtrack, which is fucking amazing. Um, And... Just over, I just overall, it's a movie that I find the older I get, the more I enjoy. I, I find there's more bits that I pick out and more of the kind of technical aspect. And that's where the movie gets criticised is that it is like far more an exercise in, in technicalities than it is about you know plot or acting. Um, and I think that same criticism could be levied at quite a lot of not only um, Argento's catalogue, but a lot of genre of the time as well. Um, I think there are very few films that manage to capture what a nightmare feels like, like Inferno. I think Inferno might be near the top of the list of movies that play with the idea of dreams. Uh, their logics themselves and and how terrifying that can actually be when you lose control of what is happening um, and that is why it made my list now before i go to bow you simmer on that sir i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna swing it to doug doug uh, what do you think of inferno well i mean we've i think we've actually recorded on inferno before at one point mm-hmm. yeah uh, back it, in the day. It, that back in the day i think <laughs> your initial what you said initially was absolutely the case is that people who are getting into Dio Argento, they see Deep Red and they see Suspiria, and then they go into Inferno and they and it's difficult to make that transition because it is something it's not that it's so different from Suspiria that that there's nothing to hold on to, but the way that Suspiria can make sense in the mind of someone who's been raised on Western films, uh you don't get the same hand holding with Inferno. It doesn't make mm. any goddamn sense. It's a nightmare. Uh and it's also peak. Argento in some ways, right? It's him uh, both at the the peak of his visual powers, but also the peak of his uh, ego. And you can kind of see that all on screen here. I really like it. And like yourself, uh, Duncan, I like it more the more I see it. Um, I will say that if you want to get an appreciation of it, uh, go watch Mother of Tears and then go back to Inferno. (laughs) And a lot of your criticisms of Inferno might just get washed away. But, I can't believe you picked on poor Mother of Tears. Oh boy, what a shame. I, I, I Look, <laughs> I think Inferno is an incredibly worthy movie. It's one, like I said, that grows in my estimation the more I watch it. However, I do have to say the first time I saw it, I was like, what? what's the big deal? Like, what? Why do people like this? Or why do people have even a strong opinion about this? It just didn't have any effect on me. And even mm-hmm. since then, the story of it doesn't linger with me. I don't really feel like I have any connection with these characters or the plot. And like you said, the big reveal at the end doesn't do anything for me, but the visuals remain. And they are the thing, especially the visuals in combination with the music. It's a beautiful yeah. movie. Uh, it's so, We're so lucky to live in a time when you can pull up a widescreen, high-definition version of Inferno and watch it uh, compared to the the, the ugly-ass pan and scan that I saw it first on. Uh, so, I mean, you know, it's to me, it's, it, I can understand why this might be a controversial pick to some, but I'm really glad it's on this list. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Right, Ransdell, the floor is yours. Come on. 
Come right. at me, bull. <laughs> uh, no, I, I actually am very glad it's on this list. I think it, it absolutely belongs on uh, the top 10 uh, films of this year. I, I don't believe it belongs in the top two. But I think it is a... He's getting ahead of himself here. He's already pitching. <laughs> he's already pitching his move here. He started early. This is this is this is how, what it's like to record with Bo. It's like it's war games constantly, and sometimes. But I don't know if he's bluffing. I don't know if he's revealing his cards too early. He's a good poker player, Doug. You need to you need to keep your eye on him. Not I'm in playing this case. Chess. <laughs> playing chess while the rest of the world is playing checkers, Duncan. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it, I, I think all the things that you said, uh, mo- well, not you, Duncan, Doug. Um, I think <laughs> son of a bitch, son I, of a bitch. I, I think that's totally right. I think it's gorgeous. The only thing I would differ on um, is that I don't like the music in this. Whoa! Uh, I, I think the Keith Emerson uh, score isn't very good. It, I, I, it, it might. Boy. Yeah, it's just not. It's not my cup of tea. And and it, you know, if I'm watching an Argento film. Call me uh, a rube, but I want to hear a little fucking goblin. <laughs> such a, a rube, bull. Such a rube. So, so I yeah, I don't care for the music that much. I think it's visually sumptuous. I think there are some set pieces in it, like you know, like the underwater ballroom and 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 so forth, that are absolutely gorgeous and and place this film firmly on the list. Uh, but I also have the same complaints about the characters that you never really spend enough time with any single character or know enough about yeah. them to get behind it. Um, I think, I, I think the last few minutes feel a little tedious uh, as opposed to thrilling. Um, but you know, I, like I have a great time watching Inferno. Inferno is a, a great movie to, to throw on and just let it sort of wash over you because the moment you start trying to pick at it, it you know collapses like a flan in the cupboard, Duncan. Um, <laughs> oh, the old flan in the cupboard, uh, everything. But uh, but no, I you know it's yeah it's no Suspiria for sure, but it's not that far from Suspiria. Like I I don't agree that it's this giant step downward, especially in a world where Mother of Tears exists. <laughs> oh come on, what's happening here? A little simpatico happening. <laughs> Well, I mean, I've seen Mother of Tears, Duncan, and it's not... I mean, Mother of Tears is slightly better than Argento's Dracula. Oh, no, sorry. It's quite a bit better than Argento's Dracula. I don't you, know. You sound, like, you sound like the sort of man that has not experienced the card player. You would sit down and watch that card player buffer that out, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, buffer I, that. I, you're, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe I should just go back and watch the shittier Argento films that I have... <laughs> That's that. That's my. You're stealing my thunder here when I announce that the next series of Duncan and Bo is go to uh, post 2000 Argento's catalog. <laughs> that's the name of the show. I can't wait. Yeah, it's just it's anything below four stars on IMDb <laughs> that Argento has produced. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that because I feel like I've lived a full life and I'm ready for it for it to be done. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to us hitting that Phantom of the Opera remake. Oh, that's a one. That's right, a well, I mean, one. But but that's the 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 tension of being an Argento fan of any stripe. Really, is that you have to take the fact that yes, Argento is capable of pure cinematic genius, but the flip side of that coin 
is he's capable of complete cinematic misfires. garbage. <laughs> yeah, garbage. you can see garbage. I, I, I think that's fear. <laughs> well, no, I, think... I was. I wasn't. I'm not going to like. I'm not sharpening my knives for Argento here. I mean, I'm I'm a fan, but yeah, I, I think that unlike someone. Uh, like Carpenter, for example. Carpenter's worst film, uh, which is probably what The Ward is probably his worst movie. Um, I'd argue it, but I think we can we can leave it for now. <laughs> I, I think I think sure. we had an entire roundtable where we did argue that. So I would I would say everyone go back and listen to all five and a half hours of that conversation. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're in a commute or something, got a long commute, just let that go. But uh, but but yeah, I think that even at Carpenter's worst, he is still capable of telling a story competently, even if that story isn't particularly good. Mm -hmm. Whereas Argento loses his fucking mind uh, <laughs> in some I, of those I, movies. I think, and I it's think like, this is unwatchable. I think Carpenter is the exception to the rule. I think if you look at any of the other great masters of horror, I think they all go the way of Argento. Uh, you're thinking of Toby mm. Hooper right now. I know it's. I'm thinking. Mind. I'm thinking Toby Hooper. I'm thinking there's a couple in that Wes Craven back catalogue which are rough. Sure. Romero's um, pretty consistent. Like even his shitty later zombie films aren't aren't awfully told. <laughs> They're just not good movies. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think Hooper or Romero has a Dracula 3D in their catalogue. No, 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 no. This no, is no. true. This is true. I, I, I will. I will concede uh, that. I will concede fucking, that. Fucking praying manis and inferno. <laughs> just by guilt by association. I like Rutger Hauer in that movie. That is literally the only thing I like. And the and the colors in the movie are pretty nice, but it's Argento. Everything else is kind of. Kind of makes me cry a little bit. <laughs> Why did you do it, Dario? What did they have over you? <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think we we maybe discussed Inferno now, and I'm going to take us away from that. <laughs> going to move. Going to pivot. Pivot. I think is what they say in the business. So let's let's go from <laughs> let's go from a bit of Argento to a man that we all gushed over. This time last year, when doing the old, uh, the old top ten series, because he had a little movie called uh, The Devils. You may remember it. Um, I think, I think Bo at the time, maybe, <laughs> maybe got a bit too excited in that one, and you were just like, "This guy's just like, Pow, wow, like guitar <laughs> solos everywhere." Um, about how fucking, fucking righteous, yeah. It, it is. No one's arguing that point. It is fucking righteous. It's a righteous experience for all. However, in 1980, he did make another movie. He made a movie called Altered States, which was produced by Howard Gottfried and Daniel Melnick, written by Paddy... <laughs> he goes by Chayefsky. Yeah, there you go. He, yeah. yeah, he goes by a different name. He goes by Sydney Aaron, which is easier to pronounce. So he's Sydney from now on. Uh, Paddy um, Chayefsky, for what it's worth, also wrote the novel. And, yes, you're uh, stealing was, my line. My next was, line is based on Alter States by Paddy Chayefsky. Thanks, Bo. Thanks. And he also Who wrote this. <laughs> yeah, he wrote Network, which we all oh, love. Network. <laughs> well, there you go. Let's talk about Network. Yeah, I love Network. I wish we could talk about... Let's talk about Network. Um, so, the movie stars William Hurt, Blair Brown, and Bob Balaban. 
Um, the synopsis for this one, a Harvard scientist conducts experiments on himself with a hallucinatory drug in an isolation chamber that may be causing him to regress genetically. Um, some interesting facts that I pulled from IMDb, and that's my source for pretty much everything, uh, was Ken Russell was often drunk throughout the production. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. Sims about right. Um, there we go. Uh, and in his autobiography, director Ken Russell claimed he tried psychedelics, including magic mushrooms, during the makeup of the film, which resulted in a bad trip. Once again, does not surprise me. Um, and this is his first American movie. I didn't know that. I thought he'd made one before Altered States, but turns out this was his first American movie. Bo, I believe this was your pick memory serves you're damn right duncan uh, which means the floor is yours talk to us about the majesty of a little movie called Altered states all right i love this movie uh, unabashedly i like movies where smart people are doing dumb things for the sake of science <laughs> <laughs> and, and and it is it's it's filled with conversations about existentialism and and the nature of existence and what are universal truths and the philosophy minor in me loves that shit so having william hurt who i think is phenomenal in this walking around with bob balaban who i am a also a big fan of uh you know i'm <laughs> I almost changed my name to Bob Bolaban at one point. It almost <laughs> happened. Oh, no. But I, I like him in this movie. I like Charles Hayde. I like uh, Blair Brown quite a bit in this film. Um, it's Ultimately, it's just a mad scientist movie at its core. But it is the trappings of it are all about... Like I said, these universal truths. How, how do you know what is real and tangible? And it's Maybe it's my own view of the world, I suppose, that I relate to so much with this film in that I find I, I find that there is a constant uh, dichotomy in my own life between the idea of maintaining these, you know, intimate personal relationships and also feeling like there is some connection to something greater and how do you uh, marry those two notions. And at the end of the day, the movie, spoilers, listeners, is ultimately about a guy who realizes that the the pursuit of the universal leads him back to his own humanity and the humanity of those who care about him. And that the real universal truth is how we treat one another. And I, I think it's a great message. I think it, it is, in Ken Russell fashion, it is filled with all kinds of crazy religious iconography. <laughs> There's a, a fucking metal-ass nine-eyed goat <laughs> uh, popping around in this movie. At one point, William Hurt turns into a monkey man, beats up a cop, and eats a goat. That <laughs> happens in this movie. I mean, I don't... I, I You know, the defense rests. I don't know what else to say about it. <laughs> well, there we go. Let's let's pivot around to Doug. Talk to us about Alter States. Oh, it's great. I mean, it, it's a really terrific... It's a really strange melding of, of personalities here, right? Because Ken Russell is such a unique character and a unique director and his fingerprints are all over this but this is Paddy Chayefsky's material uh, and obviously they had some difficulties on set let's say. <laughs> I, uh, I think that's an understatement. I think that's what we call that in the industry is that's an understatement, Doug. But in some ways this material, I mean this is a very difficult material to adapt, right? Uh, so the fact that it comes through at all and a lot of those philosophical 
um, uh, notions make it into the final stage is pretty remarkable. And it it is a very visually stunning movie in that in that Ken Russell way where you do where you really just don't know what you're going to see next because you know that he's really like legitimately a bit insane. So. He, he might put something on the screen that you just don't are not prepared to uh, to encounter. And since it's talking about such heady ideas, you get the impression the first time you're watching Altered States, if you are really on its wavelength, that you might come away with it, like feeling a little bit altered yourself, that you might actually have a better understanding of, you know, humanity's place in the universe. And while that's not necessarily really the case, if you watch it, you know, when you're a little bit older, there's a lot to chew on here. It's a really dense movie. It's, it's, it's incredibly well acted. I really love William Hurt here. I think it might be his best performance. And he's, you know, he really has to, to you know, he's regressing into a monkey person. And <laughs> you have to take him seriously the whole time. And you absolutely do. I do want to say that in some ways it feels a little compromised. And maybe it's because of those two uh, intense visions meeting. Uh, and, and it feels sometimes that maybe it it isn't reaching the heights that it could if maybe they were really working together and trying to to reach those goals. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, obviously they were trying, but if they were succeeding in reaching all of the goals that the, perhaps the original novel uh, went for, though I, I haven't read the novel myself, I'm just uh, curious because I'm, I have such a uh, respect for Patty Jayevsky as a as a writer. Um, that said, I mean, those are our nitpicks. This is a great movie. Um, it, it, it's one that I think really, and I think we'll say this about most of the movies we're talking about today, really benefits from returning to at different stages in your life. Uh, I think you can get different things out of it. And yeah, an extra little little uh, hat tip to Bob Balaban, who is the, the consummate supporting actor and a heck of a director too. Uh, just a, I was really glad this one made the list because it's one that I haven't seen in a long time. That's where I'll jump in. I, um, I had seen this movie once before and we're going back years like years and years and years and i remember it being in my head a kind of lesser ken russell movie mm. like one that i didn't want to return to because i was like that was just like doesn't feel much like ken russell at all and i don't know why i thought that so when like both yourself and i think originally when we were putting forward our list before uh doug went away like because bo got his list in first and then doug put his list and i think you had some crossover, and then you went away and picked some other titles to fill them. Both of you's had Altered States in your five pick, and I was like, am I missing something here? Because, like, Altered States wasn't even... If I had to do a list of ten movies, Altered States wouldn't have been one that I would even considered putting in there. Um, and and so I was kind of looking forward to coming back to it, because I really wanted to see what it was that was making the two of you guys so excited to put it on your list. And I watched it, and it, yeah, this movie's really fucking good. Like, really, really good. And I can't work out why... I can't work out why I just dismissed it as quick as I did before. Um, and I want to say that maybe it's an age thing, and maybe, like, when I'd seen this movie, I would have been... <clears throat> I don't give away too much, but uh, maybe, maybe early 20s. I think my brain just didn't want to handle that. Like, in my early 20s, I just wanted to be shocked and appalled um, by horror, uh, just in general. And I think of what I was watching about the time period that I watched this movie the first time around, and I was watching, you know, the the, the kind of the budgeting J-horror 
kind of craze of movies like Audition and you know Ringu and stuff. That that was the, that was my kind of diet. That's what I was getting into, and I was actually starting to really get back into Italian cinema because um, a lot of the movies that had been on the Nasties list had been uh, you know made uh, available again in the UK legally. And I was watching a lot of that, and I think that I just wasn't ready for Altered States at all. Um, coming back to it, I found it like a hugely interesting, well-paced, well-acted, um, complete headfuck of a movie in all the best ways. Uh, I, I would agree with um, what you said, Doug. I, I mean, I'm a big fan of William Hart. I think he's a fucking great actor. I think he's turned in some shitty performances, um, and he's been in at least one Marvel movie that I didn't care for sorry bo um <laughs> no, the, the hog's not good i'm with you yep yeah, no good no good in that um but that being said i think like at his best he's a, he's a wonderful actor to watch and i kind of loved him in this movie to the point that i was like very much like yourself Doug. i was like is this his best movie because i kind of think it is I really think he's phenomenal in it i love the twists and turns of the story um i think it is almost this to me feels like a weird hangover from the 70s. I, I, can't, I can't almost work out how this is an 80s movie. Uh, kind of, if you know what I mean. Mm. It kind of feels like it's just riding that kind of that last wave over. But in the best possible way. Um, I think if you gave this, like, if you came back and tried to make this movie in 84, it wouldn't have happened. Or if it had happened, it would have been a hell of a lot worse for that. It wouldn't have been as, as clever. Um, it wouldn't have done as much as it would have done in this movie or tried to be as risky it would have been a lot more schlocky and cheesy and i, I think it's it's for his benefit um i think the score in this movie is amazing as well um and it just reminded me like even even ken russell when he is out his face on drink um and psychedelics <laughs> is a fucking hell of a director i mean some of the some of the visuals in this movie are like it's, it is like going to an altered state. It really, really is just a phenomenal movie. I was, I was kind of blown away, and I'm glad that it made the list. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that it made the list so I could watch it anyway. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a bloody good one. <laughs> so, whew. yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to have got that off my chest now. So <laughs> now, now, now that we've done that one, now that we've done that one, I kind of feel the need. We're talking about visuals. We're talking about being sharp, snazzy amazing score it kind of feels like it's only right to follow up with a little bit of dress to kill i Whew. love brian de palma right that's no secret i, I seem to love a lot I, I do i'm a lover not a fire right <laughs> not a fire you know like, uh, but I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm a huge fan of brian de palma and i am one of these ones that i'm like so what if it kind of more than resembles a Hitchcock movie, you know, maybe just a little bit more. De Palma himself, if you watch that documentary, this is why I love him, if you watch that documentary that came out two years ago, he just says, yeah, <laughs> I really like Psycho, so I just thought, and I'm like, yeah, I really like Vertigo, so I did this, and then I really like this, and I did this, and he's like that, and he's like, he's like what's, what's the problem here? I, I don't know what your problem is. And I kind of like that attitude, because, yeah, yeah, he does he does more than pay homage a lot of the time to <laughs> to Hitchcock but I will see this I think 
very much like when you watch a Hitchcock movie, you know you're watching it. You know, there's there's something, there's an aura about it, the look, feel, the score, etc. When you watch a De Palma movie, you know you're watching a De Palma movie. And I think Dress to Kill is bonkers. It's an American Jallo. He claimed like he, he like it, oh man, I love the guy. He claimed <laughs> he claimed he'd never seen an Argento movie, and I'm like, come on, dude, come on, come on, De Palma, I'm I'm batting for you here. I've got your back, but you have. You have. Everyone had. Every director worth his salt in 1980 had seen an Argento movie. Like, he just he just kind of conquered the world with Suspiria. You'd seen Suspiria. And you'd seen Deep Red. So don't hit me with it. Um, but yeah, it's his, it's his version of a giallo with a, a twist on. Kind of like the world has come full circle. Um, wherein, like, the giallos are influenced by Hitchcock. The Palma's influenced by the giallo. Which means he's influenced by Hitchcock, which he was already. Um, so, it's written by... De Palma, <laughs> directed by De Palma, produced by George Little, starring Michael Caine, Angie Dickinson, Nancy Allen, Keith Gordon. Um, I could talk forever about this one. I will shut the fuck up right now because this is Doug's choice. Doug, tell us why Dress to Kill. I'll tell you what. You know, I love that story about Hitchcock being asked about Dress to Kill and they tell him it's a homage and he goes more like fromage. <laughs> yeah, more like fromage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> Pretty good. Even at, even at that age, even at that age, don't fuck with Hitch. Yeah, it may have been a, look, Dress to Kill is an amazing movie. It's an amazing looking movie. It is a giallo, like back to front, the razor blades, the gloves. I mean, the 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 style over some level of substance at times. Uh, it, <laughs> it, it you know it, it fits really comfortably into that mold more so than certainly the movies Argento was making at this time. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I also love the idea that it is this sort of inverted Psycho where the characters from Psycho who were the villains have been turned into the, you know, the nerdy repressed kid. Now he's one of the heroes. And I mean, and, and the, the, psychologist, uh, the psychiatrist is the one that uh, instead of coming at the end and explaining everything, he's the one who's responsible the whole time. Spoiler alert. Uh, I do think that Dress to Kill has aged poorly in some ways. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that's something that we're likely to be talking about. I mean, this is a, a film that is... Look, most people watching it who would be listening to this either have already seen it or know the ending of it fairly well. I, I feel like you can't really talk about it without talking about the ending. Um, yeah, it's going to get spoiled. Everything's going to get spoiled, and there's a massive spoiler warning that now goes out at the front of my shows just in case people don't know. This movie will be spoiled. So. Well, I mean, you started the whole episode saying Michael Caine in a dress, so I mean, I think it's already been yeah. spoiled to some extent. But this is a film that is very transphobic. Uh, it is battling. It's. I think it's trying to be sympathetic to what the trans experience was as understood by the American public in 1980. Uh, but, you know, showing clips from Phil Donahue is really not the way to, to kind of get across, <laughs> you know, what, what that actually means. And You mean that wasn't Leslie Nielsen, though? <laughs> and also conflating it with, like, mental illness. I mean, there's there's some icky material here that, that uh, and maybe icky is, is, is an unfair word to use, but what I should say is that it, it's, it's obviously someone who doesn't fully understand or doesn't really care to understand um, the the what, what a trans experience would be in 1980, uh, and yet has used it as a kind of the centerpiece of this film. I mean, it doesn't go into uncomfortable places quite as strongly as, say, maybe Sleepaway Camp does, but it's, mm-hmm. still, it's still treading, you know, that same sort of uh, area. And I, uh, I do have trans friends who really dislike this movie because of that fact, and understandably so. Um, 
so you do have to remove that i think from your mind like that that aspect if you come to terms with the problematic aspects of that then you can appreciate that the rest of the movie is just so fucking amazing in all sorts of different ways uh that i think the the performances are really great obviously you know they're trying to do a janet lee and psycho thing by killing off one of the leads early on i can't even imagine folks in 1980 not thinking while watching it for the first time boy you know michael kane's not really doing a lot in this so wonder what yeah. <laughs> wonder when he's going to come back as a you know it all seems very very kind of obvious uh watching it now but i, I still feel my uh, uh, find myself like really engaged with the uh, with the bravura type sequences like the the sequence where andy dickinson is is flirting with the gentleman in the oh uh, right i mean and and and, and oh boy and one of my favorites which is when you have Nancy Allen on the phone and then taking another phone call with the split screen with Michael Caine, uh, also listening to the messages at the same time and all of that still making sense. I mean, this is De Palma, you know, showing off, no doubt about it. This is him showing off. But I mean, if you're going to make a stylish uh, um, gloved killer movie, then this that's the one that you're supposed to show off in. Uh, and so I really do love it a lot uh, with the recognition that there are some problematic elements but um and and not to give anything away i don't know if this one's going to make my top two but i will say that it's it's definitely a top fiver for me yeah i think just picking back and on some of the stuff you're you're saying there i think it's it's really weird with this one because very much like yourself i am torn about some some of the subject matter in the movie or some of the certainly some of the 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 way that they try and portray the motivation um, of you know the the, the, the the Michael Caine character, and I, I I always want to give the benefit of the doubt. Like I always really do want to give, especially when movies are, are you know in the case of this one, what were <laughs> um, almost forty years uh, since this movie was made. That you know different time period, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what they're covering in this movie was known, you know. It was it, 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 it had its place in society back then, and there was movements very much trying to gain, you know, recognition um, and acceptance in a way which society was still very backwards looking on. And this movie doesn't really help that. Um, it's interesting that the movie is so kind of progressive in its perspective on sex work, while yeah. still being so regressive in regards to uh, to, to transsexuals. Yeah, and I, what I want, like the the part of me that wants to give the benefit of the doubt is that De Palma decides that he wants to write a kind of Jallo esque sort of movie, and his reveal is going to be that you know is the was well, that the man's dressed up like a woman like Psycho, right? But we've got to go one step further and modernize it without the tools or the understanding of how to do that. You know, he has he has all the the ability of uh, the craftsmanship of making like a, a visually stunning, phenomenal story, and all the ability to craft a really interesting story. But I think when it comes to tackle that subject matter, he just doesn't know, and I honestly think he just doesn't care. And I don't know what's worse <laughs> is the fact that he doesn't spend the time to do the research in it, um, or that he, you know, on the flip side of that, you know, just probably doesn't care to want to even bother to try and do it anyway it's a really interesting flip of the story audiences might not see it coming like Doug said uh, if you're in 1980 and Michael Caine's in this movie <laughs> and you're seeing him like once every what like 
15 minutes for like two seconds i'm starting to think maybe michael kane's a killer um, <laughs> you know i'm just i'm just gonna just gonna put that there. plus once again like it is it is very clearly even though we get only very quick glimpses of him it is very clearly michael kane in drag attacking um in the elevator it really really is with the swipes you can see it you know it you know that's that's all there as well although I'm saying that, and I don't know if there is a body double or something at that point, but um, yeah, I don't know, and that's the part that I always want to kind of try to defend De Palma, but I kind of feel that De Palma, particularly in the 80s, jumps from one controversy to another in all his movies, whether it's, you know, blatant misogynism in his movies, or, you know, the, the fact that he's seen as being a bit of a rip-off artist, um, or the fact that I think at times he tries to push the envelopes. He, he feels like quite a lip, a liberal <laughs> director when it comes to sex, and he's trying to put movies out in a decade which you know weirdly will allow a lot of sex scenes and slasher movies, but not a lot of blood. But when a De Palma movie comes along, they're like, "Yeah, you're all right with the blood, but not the sex." It's weird. It's this weird kind of bubble that he existed in. Um, I think the once again the score of this movie is phenomenal. I think this some of the some of the camera work in this movie is mind blowing. Like the the museum sequence is maybe one of my favourite De Palma shots of all time. I think it's phenomenal. And yeah, I'd like I I just love the way the movie comes out. I love the the you know the the kind of geeky kid that starts you know hanging around with Nancy Allen. I think she's a great character in this one. Obviously, becomes a bit of a regular in De Palma movies because of her relationship with him. Um, yeah, I, I I genuinely love this movie. I'm like Doug. I I kinda there are elements of it about it, particularly in this day and age where you look back in a movie like this and you go. Well, that's unfortunate, you know. I mean, that like, I, I, I don't, I, I can't defend because I don't know. I don't know if it's a case of he just didn't care, or you know, he, he was just writing about stuff that he, he just didn't know about, and he thought it would be okay. Um, Bo, I, we've never spoke. We've spoke to Palma, me and you, on a couple of things, kind of older to Palma. Uh, we've never, to the best of my knowledge, spoke about Dress to Kill, so I do not know your opinion on this movie at all, which kind of feels weird, so let's <laughs> rectify that. Uh, let me know. In our in our effort to somehow create an AI version that is both of us put together... Um, <laughs> yeah. Dunboco uh, Productions presents Dunbo. Yeah, um, Dunbo, the, the robot that just agrees on every movie. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, it's just like, what do you think of this? It's fucking brilliant. Um, <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I agree with much of, of what you're saying. I actually came to Dress to Kill fairly late uh, oh. in life. I didn't see it when I was younger. I had seen, you know, Sisters, and I had seen, jeez, uh, uh, The Untouchables about 50 mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, stuff like that. Uh, the, 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 the De Palma big, big hitters, not that this isn't one. But by the time I saw it, I knew I knew the gag. You know, right. I, I so I knew that Michael Caine was in a dress, and that made me erect, so I was excited about that. <laughs> and Some I, people just want to see the world burn, Master Wayne. Yeah. Some people want to see the world get hot. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I think it's a really 
it's a problematic movie in that it is beautifully shot. It is one of De Palma's best executed films, but it, it's like being handed a delicious steak and being told about every three three bites, there's going to be a raisin embedded in the meat. <laughs> now, two of those bites are going to be some of the best steak you've ever had in your life. One of those is going to be raisin steak. And Duncan, <laughs> nobody likes raisin steak. I don't know so, why I want to try it now. <laughs> so I, I, but I also agree that in terms of like, if we were ranking this list, it's in the upper tier of these films. I, I just wish, <laughs> I wish it were better at, at both keeping it secret, which I don't think it does very well. Mm-hmm. And I, and I wish that it had, a little bit more i mean it's hard to blame a movie for not being progressive enough at a time when there was literally no progression on that front right but at the same time you know it is the year of our lord i don't know was it 2016 now who could possibly keep up (laughs) sounds about right so yeah (laughs) it feels like nothing it feels like we should freeze 2016 maybe before (laughs) november yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going back before the member times, you know, like, <laughs> but I, yeah, I like the movie a lot. I think Angie Dickinson is great in it. I think Nancy Allen is great in it. I think Keith Gordon in particular is very, uh, very fun as the, the kid trying to solve the murder of his mother yeah. and, uh, and being the inspector gadget of the film with all his little <laughs> inventions and stuff. Mm-hmm. I like all that stuff. Um, I think the the ending dream sequence is a, a little mm-hmm. overwrought, even for De Palma, uh, who is not necessarily known for his subtlety. But I I, I think you end in that office uh, with, you know, the reveal of like, hey, remember Michael Caine being in this movie? And that scene like two scenes ago? When uh, a psychiatrist was clearly talking to him about his own uh, psychological problems, and then he left suddenly, um, it turns out he's the killer. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm damning it with faint praise because, the, the, you know, that's the problem of the film for me. Because there are those moments like the shot where Keith Gordon is setting up the camera mm-hmm. to take pictures of, of uh, Elliot's doorway. And there is just this perfect angle as mm-hmm. Keith Gordon walks away where yeah. the camera is, is framed. And it's those moments where you're like, God damn it, Brian De Palma. If everything <laughs> in this movie were this, it would be one of the best movies I'd ever seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There we go. There we go. Right. That feels good. We got through. Hey, listen, guys, we got through those ones without any issues. <laughs> Like, no one said anything really mean about Inferno. Um, no one, you know, like, unfairly picked on a movie like Altered States and we got through Dress to Kill Fine. It is only uphill from here. Oh. So, um, with that in mind, let's go to another one of my picks. Um, maybe the most controversial movie, <laughs> not only on this list, but the entire fucking 80s list. <laughs> Uh, yeah, one that's guaranteed to, to upset some, um, and, 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 and uh, like, maybe upset most, um, 
it's probably the most notorious of all the video nasties and maybe one of the most notorious horror films of all time. Um, it kind of set this director up for a career which up until this point hadn't really hadn't really been that risky. He'd been doing a lot of kind of the kind of police procedurals in Italy. And I dabbled in a little bit of horror. And then he made a little movie um, before this one, um, which kind of had slight cannibalistic tones. And then he made Cannibal Holocaust and the world <laughs> shit itself. Um, and then, you know, like everyone copied him after this point. Like everyone just wanted to get on that. Let's hurt animals train. Yay. Uh, the movie is directed, of course, by Rogero Diodato, uh, produced by Franco Di Nunzio and Franco Palaggi, um, written by J.M. Franco Celci. I think that's how you pronounce that. Probably not. Uh, starring Robert Kerman, Carol Gabriel York. Francesca Chiardi, Lucia Barbaricelli, and um, Perry Pickerinen. <laughs> that's, that's not right, Duncan. But we're sticking with it. He's not listening to this show anyway. He doesn't like podcasts. Me and me, <laughs> me, me, me and Perry chat all the time. He ain't a podcast listener. Um, so yeah, the movie. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of nervous about this one because I, I feel just. I will say that I feel just for putting it on the list. I also have made my views in this movie very, very, very clear and people know about it. There is a certain aspect that I, I cannot abide in this movie, um, but I, I believe it is there for a legitimate reason and we will get into this. Uh, IMDb lists the synopsis for this as During a rescue mission into the Amazon rainforest, a professor stumbles across lost films shot by a missing documentary crew. So yeah, this <laughs> I saw this movie. I saw this movie at such the wrong age to see this movie, and I saw the cut. I, I saw the cut version as well. So um, this movie, one of the more famous <laughs> of the video nasties lot, um, and has still never officially been released in the UK, fully uncut. So there the. Blu-ray version that we have in the UK put out by Shameless uh, Distribution have a damn near close to being cut minus I think it's a a, a couple of scenes with the mongoose are cut short um, and maybe a bit with the turtle potentially I think um, a muskrat not mongoose sorry muskrat um, and there is although there is and I will say this um, a Ruggiero Diodato recut of the movie in which most of the animal violence has been removed at Diodato's own request because uh, he deeply regrets you know, with hindsight uh, <laughs> and all the trouble that he got into which was a lot of fucking trouble um, he, he kind of regrets this but I have seen the full uncut version I also own the, is it the Grindhouse releasing? I think it was Grindhouse right. that put out Um and yeah, once again, this movie should not look as good as Grind has put out on, like, <laughs> ever, ever. Um, I think... I've got, I've got to watch how I, I put this forward, because statements can be twisted, words can be twisted in particular. I think this is a hugely important movie. I think it's a very, very, very important movie. I think some of the techniques they use from a psychological standpoint not only scarred a generation but I think still hold up 
I say that with confidence in that my sometimes horror watching co-host friend watched this movie and if you speak to him on any given day he will tell you that real people die in this movie he's like and i've told him they don't but he is convinced he will never watch this movie again he's watched it once and he is convinced there is actual snuff in this movie it destroyed him it absolutely destroyed him and i don't feel great when i come out of watching cannibal holocaust (laughs) cannibal holocaust for me is a movie that i watch every now and again um and i know before i hit play and that uh, Ritz Ortolone score kicks in that I'm going to feel not great for the rest of the day and maybe the day after. I, I, I kind of, I've set myself into that 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 particular, that zone. That's, that's what's going to happen. I think there is a message in this movie. I think some people could be very cynical about it and say, well... Yeah, because it's some you know a take on the Mondo movies, and Mondo movies were kind of schlocky ways of trying to put forward a message, mostly as an excuse to show the exploitation um, footage that they did on the screen. And yeah, we will never know. Diodato says there is a, a distinct message that he wanted to make with this movie, and for whatever reason, I'm siding with him in this particular equation because it makes me feel slightly better about myself watching this movie. I think it's incredibly powerful. Um, I don't agree with any of the animal violence at all. I find it sickening. Um, but I think without the animal violence in here, not justifying it for any... Let's see how I'm having it. It's like... This whole statement is like juggling grenades while walking through a minefield. Like, everything's <laughs> going to set something off. Um, I think the psychological justification for that in the movie is the more animal violence you see the more your brain becomes disposed to thinking that the fake human violence human on human violence is real and i think that works i genuinely think that works i don't think half of what you see in this movie is as effective psychologically on the brain without some of that as deplorable and horrible as it is um there's never been a movie that's come close to it in terms of doing what it did, there are certainly plenty of imitators. I'm looking at you, Ferox. Um, like, <laughs> but Lindsay's like that. Oh, I've never seen Cannibal Holocaust. Sure, you haven't, Lindsay. And De Palma's never seen a Hitchcock movie. Sure, sure, you haven't. Um, but yeah, it did. It spiraled off and created a lot of a lot of issues. It's worth saying that there's a lot of animal violence in Italian cinema prior to this. Um, some of it done for entertainment purposes most of it done in spaghetti westerns where horses died by the fucking dozens in the makings of those movies because no one cared Um, and yeah I don't know where I'm going with this except that (laughs) I think it's I think it's a hugely important movie I think it, it is it is almost damn near mandatory to be mentioned in 1980 and whilst I don't agree with the film techniques used, there are very few film experiences or cinematic experiences that you will ever have in your entire life. And this movie is not for everyone. Like I genuinely think it will. There are certain, I would never let my wife watch this movie because it would upset her like too much. Um, and I, I, you know, when people talk about I want something that will really, you know, freak me out and all the rest. I could mention this, but I don't want to. I don't want to. I think it's for people to search out themselves. And that's the sort of movie it is. It's not a movie that should be widely available. Uh, it's one that you know when, when you reach a when you reach a certain it's level, on the list. no one should see it. 
<laughs> yeah, I, 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 but I think that's I think that's fair. I, I I do think that's fair. I don't think I think if anyone's listening to podcasts under the stairs, um, and have been listening for the length that I suspect a lot of these people have, they have either seen this movie or made this made the decision not to see this movie, <laughs> and. I think both of those are valid points uh, and valid perspectives to have and I would not criticise someone for watching the movie or choosing not to watch the movie. Bo Ransdell, Cannibal Holocaust. That's my nickname, yes. Um... <laughs> yep, that's, that's, what they, that's, what they, that's what they call him when he goes into a rib shack. He <laughs> 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 becomes the Cannibal Holocaust, the eater of worlds. Uh, yeah, I'm Galactus at that point. Um, <laughs> uh, I think you're right. I, I, I'm i in the unenviable position, Duncan, of really enjoying the animal violence, but not the rest of the movie. So. <laughs> He's a um, uh, bitch. Uh, yeah, I think this movie is... I, I think it belongs on this list. I think this movie is loud like a bomb. It, it like you said you don't forget <laughs> you don't forget this movie you no. know you saw this movie like i'll i'll have those moments where i'm like did i see ouija experiment three <laughs> i think maybe i did <laughs> i have no doubts in my mind that i have seen cannibal holocaust exactly four times mm-hmm. and i only watch it when i have to uh for a show or something like that or on a dare and I, I actually didn't watch it again for this recording because it hadn't been that long since I'd seen it and I didn't want to feel that bad again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I, I do agree. I think it, it, it is significant. It is one of those films in the horror canon that is sort of the litmus test for, for a certain flavor of horror fan hmm. uh, that if you haven't seen cannibal holocaust you lose a little bit of horror street cred or something um yeah i i don't know i mean i i I don't know exactly how to phrase my uh my emotions when it comes to uh cannibal holocaust i think it's distasteful i think it's kind of a repulsive movie but i also think it does exactly what it sets out to do which is to disturb and shock and unsettle and i think it does all of those things well um i think it's a better made movie than it implies it is yeah uh that there is a sort of an amateur nature to the film that belies the fact that deodato is doing something very specific with this movie and and i would argue you know your your message of this movie is hey uh westerners shouldn't be fucking around in places they don't understand (laughs) especially when they're exploiting the natives in, mm-hmm. in an effort to do so sweet and, irony <laughs> right uh, and you know it's a yeah it, it's a tremendously impactful film it it, it does it does do deserve to be in the discussion of you know the most the most important if not the best films of the year because it's hard to say like i love cannibal holocaust yeah, um, yeah. I don't know anyone that has ever said that. And to be honest, if anyone did start a conversation with you, oh, so you like horror movies? I love Cannibal Holocaust. I would take maybe two steps away and then pretend that my phone was ringing, even though it didn't make a noise. And be like, oh, what's that? I have to go right now. It's been, oh, some, someone on, right. I'll, I'll see you later. Bye. And then make my exit. 
Yeah, well, no, because nobody says it in that voice. Like, I love Cannibal Holocaust. It's always like, I really like Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> and they've got they've got their dick in their hand when they say it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's an uncomfortable position to be in. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, I've got their dick in their hands now. Um, so, <laughs> thought I'd ask. Uh, right, Doug. Listeners. Um, <laughs> listeners. Uh, Doug, talk to us a little bit about Cannibal Holocaust. I love Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> uh, no, I well, don't. Play. I, <laughs> I am very, very glad that it's on this list so we can talk about it. Uh, I, I think it's, it is incredibly important, uh, mostly because it kind of held that spot for a really long time of that movie that was kind of the ultimate one, right? You know, the one yeah. that, that you don't really... like. A lot of people were... More people at, at one point, especially when I first started getting into movies, talked about it than actually saw it. It's so amazing to think that, like, literally, you could probably just do a search right now, Cannibal Holocaust, watch online, and you could be watching it in, like, a couple of minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's just a crazy world that we live in. I don't know if it's a good thing or not, especially after hearing uh, your... Uh, your uh, uh, Creed, uh, or Screed, I should say, uh, Duncan, about the idea that people should not be able to see this at all, apparently. <laughs> it's not that people shouldn't be able to see it. That's not like, because that's the video nasties. What I'm saying is, I just don't think this you is don't the sort of movie. I, I don't think this is the sort of movie that should be on a Netflix, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I get it. I, you know, I have exactly the same issues as you have already mentioned, Duncan. The animal violence is reprehensible it shouldn't have happened uh it's not uncommon for italian movies of this time mm-hmm. period and and, and, and yeah it's, it's it's incredibly unpleasant it's the reason that i don't revisit the movie very often it's the reason that there are versions of it that you can watch uh without that animal violence in it um but in some ways the thing i love most about Cannibal holocaust if i could say that <laughs> is the way that it seems like the natural you know extension of what was popular in exploitation cinema around that time period, right? When yeah, you have yeah, yeah. those Mondo movies that were getting more extreme, uh, and then you were getting the violence of um, a fictionalized movies getting more extreme, and then they kind of met in the middle, right? This feels like the next step after something like a Goodbye Uncle Tom, where you have uh, you're working Mondo elements into real cinema, and then you're blending the lines between what is what, and 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 just like that movie. It's incredibly wrong-headed in a lot of different ways. It is ironic in how uh, bad the filmmakers end up looking while trying to reveal the, you know, it, it, just, just like Bo said, the the kind of ugly American or ugly Westerner style ignorance on display, and then they end up looking just as bad themselves. I do think that the found footage aspect of this and its influence has been very overblown. I think yes. it works in the context of the movie very, very well. But I don't think that when you're watching the next Paranormal Activity movie that that the filmmakers were strongly influenced by Cannibal Holocaust. There's a reason that it was like almost 20 years before the Blair Witch Project came out. It, it's yeah. it, Again, it, it is a very interesting t- technique and it shows, again, I, I do think that it's kind of brilliant in how it's actually used in the context of the movie. But... You know, I, you know, some horror fans are like, oh, no, you know, Diodato, he invented this, found footage, Cannibal Holocaust. It's like, well, yeah, it's really interesting and it's really neat how it's done. And it kind of adds that different layer, just like that scene in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer adds that kind of distance layer, which also, while also making you feel kind of icky with how personal it mm-hmm. feels at the same time. I think it's a 
shockingly well-made movie in some res- respects, which also is why it's it's so difficult to to watch because, like you said, Duncan, there are like like slick special edition versions of Cannibal fucking Holocaust that you can get in, in a couple yeah. of clips on Amazon right now. It's just strange to even think about. Uh, there's no way that that this one's making it. I mean, there's just no way. Uh, I'd love for for us to have that argument. I just don't see it happening. But I'm there's no way to. There's no doubt in my mind that this is like one of the most important horror movies of the decade. And I'm really glad that we had a chance to talk about it. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Right. Well, let's let's spin it away from that. Um, let's swing back to another one for Doug. Mm. Um, so, Doug, um, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Here we go. Um, some people consider the number 13 to be unlucky. I consider it to be very lucky, right? <laughs> I consider it so lucky that I got a tattoo of a 13 on me. Um, and that is no joke. There is no joke there that actually happened. <laughs> um, don't regret it at all. Kind of regret it. Don't regret it at all. Just a little bit. Um, but yeah, there, there, <laughs> we we jump into 1980 <laughs> with the, the birth of what will be a fucking juggernaut which I think of all the years that we are doing in this this run of top 10 shows, there is a high proportion of these movies in this franchise that make their way in there or were at least in consideration for like the, you know, the 15 suggested. I think almost all of them, um, minus the one that's guaranteed entry into the final, you know, 20, which is Jason Takes Manhattan, obviously. Obvs. Um, yep. yeah, that, that Metropolis Sim score every single time. Um, yeah. Uh, but back in the day, there was this young kind of preppy guy called Sean S. Cunningham. He'd worked alongside, the stories are infamous now, he'd worked alongside uh, Wes Craven. And um, yeah, I had kind of seen Halloween and decided to, to take, his own, <laughs> take his own run at it. Um, he'd obviously clearly seen some Italian horror movies. I'm looking at you, Beyblood. Um, but we'll, we'll hold that back. Um, or Twitch of the Death Nerve. Sorry for my American peeps. Twitch of the Death Yeah, Nerve. it's, the, it's uh, the better title. It is the better title. It is the better title. It's just not what's known as over here. It's Beyblood over here. Um, so yeah, he, he worked with this guy, Victor Miller. Um, and produced the movie himself because that's what he'd done prior to directing he'd been a producer Um, Sean S. Cunningham did this movie called Friday the 13th the movie stars Betsy Palmer Adrienne King, Harry Crosby Laurie Bartram um, Mark Nelson other folks including this guy called Kevin Bacon who had no career after this at all (laughs) He he was shunned for his poor performance and maybe maybe not so great dress sense, although no one comes out smelling their roses from this movie when it comes to dress sense. The neckerchief is not a good uh, accessory. I'm just saying it right now. <laughs> if you've got a neckerchief, put it in the bin. No one wants to see that. I'm looking at you, no. Bo, because you look oh, like a sort. Peter Bogdanovich yeah. is getting very upset at this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the synopsis listed on IMDb for Friday the 13th is a group of camp counsellors are stalked and murdered by an unknown assailant while trying to reopen a summer camp, which years before was the site of a child's drowning. Doug, you had Friday the 13th on this. No one's heard of this movie before. It's so obscure. I'm hoping that you will be able to enlighten us all as to what actually happens in this movie and it's as if it's worth our time. 
Well, uh, I don't know if your listeners have seen any other slasher movies in the 1980s, uh, mm. but if you have, then you've also seen Friday the 13th from 1980. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, the fact is, there's gonna, probably in, in this series of podcasts, there's going to be a lot of discussion about the Friday the 13th series, and rightfully mm -hmm. so. Incredibly important. It, I, if we had left this off this list, I imagine some people would get very upset. But let me put something front and, uh, and, and center here. I do not like the Friday the 13th movies, and I don't like this movie. Uh, I don't <gasps> think it's very good. Uh, I think Duck. it's... I think it, it's... <laughs> I, I think was it's, ready for this swirling. There's only water in this bottle. Where's the whiskey? It is incredibly important. It probably is equally as important uh, as Halloween in, in, in some ways, at least uh, mm -hmm. in terms of its influence. Uh, and obviously it was very successful and spawned a very important series of which I do like some uh, some of the, the films in that series. But uh, this, I mean, it's... It, look, there's... It's so funny that we talked about Brian De Palma being influenced by Hitchcock when this, I mean, this is just a straight ripoff of Halloween <laughs> in all sorts of different ways, including the opening scene. Uh, and and uh, even though it's kind of posited more as a mystery, um, a mystery that you can't really solve because there's no way to know the, the elements of it until it gets to the end, um, it, it, it still feels um, derivative in almost every single way. I mean, I don't care about any of the characters in this movie. I don't think anyone really does, right? I mean, except for the final girl, and it's a pretty good final girl. Hey, I'll, I'll mm -hmm. give him that. And it do did set the... Uh, it Even more so than Halloween, it set out the structure for all of these movies that were to follow. But I don't even think that's necessarily a good thing. I just... Mm -hmm. it, it's... Sean S. Cunningham is a perfectly capable director, but I will not give him anything more than that. I don't think he's very good. I think that there's some some okay effects work here from Tom Savini. I think some of the interplay between the characters is amusing. We do have, the, of course, the um, the local crazy person who is warning oh, the crazy kids, right? Ralph. Right, right, who becomes oh. like, you know, it's it, it, even then it was probably a cliche, but it's certainly a cliche now. I just, it's not a series that I have a lot of affection for. Uh, it's important for us to have talk, to talk about it in regards to this. And I'm curious to see what you both have to say about it. But I, I, I it would be, um, it would be wrong for me to say that I enjoy watching this movie. It just feels so, like, of course, we're talking about this with 30 years of baggage on top of it, right? Of movies mm -hmm. that were, were heavily influenced that by that. But I, I'm telling you, even when I saw it for the first time when I was a teenager in like 1993 or 1994, I, I thought, boy, what's like, what's the big fucking deal? And I thought, you know, as I refined myself as a horror fan and I went back to it, I could finally see what the big deal is. And I don't. I just don't. Like, I can watch Halloween tomorrow and be like this. I can see how this is a cut above all of its imitators. Friday the 13th gives none of that for me. Mic drop. There we go. Yeah. That's how you That's how you do it. And that's a sobering moment. That's a sober, like we were all fun and having laughs and talking about animal <laughs> Wait violence. till I find out it's in both of your top twos. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, remember earlier on, Bo, when I was chatting and you were all like, yeah, we're on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> Is it Team 1980? Yeah, we're on the same page. We'll knock this out in 15 minutes. And then, and then, and then, Doug shat in her kettle, um, which she just did there. Uh, shat in her Friday the Thirteenth kettle, right in front of us. He didn't even wipe; uh, he just walked off. Um, Bo Ranstall, uh, anything that you want to add, <laughs> or maybe question um, with Doug's statement on Friday the Thirteenth? 
Look, Doug and I have done a lot of uh, talking offline prior to this show, and it should come as no surprise that we agree. I'm being punked. I'm being punked. <laughs> All right. Oh, that makes sense. Where's Aston Kitcher? Is he out there? No. Not anymore. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I. Yeah, I kind of fall into into the same place, which is I think Friday the Thirteenth is immensely important and significant. I also don't necessarily like watching it all that much, um, especially once you know the trick of the end of the movie. Uh, you know, it, spoilers for Friday the 13th. It, you know, that it's Jason's mother and not Jason. That's kind of a fun little twist, especially in light of the sequels to follow. I don't think it's the best Friday the 13th movie. Um, it's certainly not the best you know, horror film of 1980. It is responsible uh, for a lot of things that I don't care for. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm in that weird club of like, I love horror movies, but slasher movies are not my favorite. And it, it really, it's one of the reasons it took me so long to come around to Giallo was I just considered that Italian slashers. And I then... slap you in your... Hey, I'm saying <laughs> American face board still. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm saying I was wrong, Duncan. Uh, I was wrong about that. Um, but I don't feel like I'm wrong about Friday the 13th, especially considering the guy what put it on the list is saying, yeah, I mean, it doesn't belong at the top, but it's important to talk about. And I think that's exactly right. I think it's a significant film. Um, I you know, Like Doug said, if you have seen any slasher, from 1981 on you have seen at least part of friday the 13th i mean i I, yeah. I'm, I sincerely I, when we get to duncan i just want to know what's exceptional about it you know it's not an exceptional movie and i think like you're like <laughs> it's i think it was more the umbrage i took was just on the sweeping statement on the franchise as a whole tell us what's I... exceptional about it duncan. <laughs> 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 um, like friday the 13th for me is I, I, I mean, the first one isn't even in. I don't even think it's in my top four in the series, <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm being honest. And it's for a lot of the reasons that we've kind of put out. I don't think Sean S. Cunningham is particularly that great a director. Um, I think he's a fantastic opportunist. He's clearly a good producer. Um, because he very quickly saw a gap in the market and plunged at it and drummed up. Um, a huge amount of interest and attention that I don't think people thought they needed, if you know what I mean. I think, you know, obviously Halloween had come out during Gangbusters and everyone loved it. I don't think anyone really had the foresight to think there is a genre in this to exploit and, and push um, in the same way that Sean S. Cunningham did. I think he saw the writing on the wall. I mean, I think a lot of what he put out in this movie, he even said it himself. You know, he made the movie. It was going to be this one-off movie, so to speak. But even his inclinations towards the end of it was, I could franchise this. Um, I don't think for one second he would have thought that that would have ultimately meant that Jason would have went to space. I think that's fair to say. Um, <laughs> I will say though that Jason Going to Space is actually a fucking great movie and it has David Cronenberg in it and that gives it instant street cred with me. Um but yeah, it's not it's not it's not 
It's not a top tier slasher movie. The first one anyway is not a top tier slasher movie. I think when you find that sweet spot in part four, part four is a fucking great slasher movie. Mm -hmm. um, and it's because by then we have done a bit of trial and error on quite a lot of what we've seen before. We've refined it right down and we, we give the people what they want. We almost create the market need for the people in those first three movies, and then four delivers everything that you want. Just want to note um, right here that that Halloween is better than Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, and it came before all of them. Yeah, I, I think, but I think that's fair. But I think then after that, you go on what is probably the biggest, maybe beside the Texas Chainsaw Massacre after Part Two, the biggest freefall in quality. And Halloween, when Halloween decides, Fair enough. Yeah, when, when Halloween decides that it no longer wants to be Halloween and it wants to be Friday the Thirteenth, and that's why you have Michael Myers mm. sleeping on someone's couch for a year, sure. which makes like you know what I mean. So, so I think I think the one thing that has always stood out for me about Friday the Thirteenth is none of the movies are exceptional, but there is a constant through most of them that they know what they are, they know what the audience wants, and they try and deliver it. And when they deviate too far from that, that's when the issues start to arise. Um, but for the most part, when it stays in that sweet spot from, say, part, I would say, two through to part <laughs> seven, <laughs> and then you get, like, Jason Goes to Hell, which I'll defend. I oh, think look, if, if we ever do the 90s here... Get me on the Jason Goes to Hell year because we're going to have the biggest yeah. fucking fight in history. Yeah, well, 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 you hear? No, I love it. I, re I, well, think I love it as well. I, Bo hates I, it. I we'll get more on that top show. Two of the entire series. I love it as well. I think. see, Doug, we've bonded again. We've bonded again. <laughs> Everything's okay. Yeah, I love that movie. I think that movie's fucking great. Like no, nothing gave me more glee in the last two weeks than hearing that the guy that directed it is talking about doing a, a, a Clayton Duke. Um, Clayton Duke. Like, it's never going to happen. Off? Not in a no, million of fucking not. years. Of but course I not. love. I love the 2018. It's like the worst. Like this, this year is awful. It's just awful <laughs> all yeah. the time. But the fact that there's been this revisionist love for Friday the Thirteenth Part Nine, <laughs> it's like maybe it's all worth it. <laughs> yeah, you sometimes you have to go through hell to appreciate it. It was always amazing. Um, but yeah, I think the first one. I think I think we've covered quite a lot of what I think is exceptional about the movie, and it's not that the movie itself is exceptional. It's that, yes, Halloween is the one that kind of uh, kind of gives form and shape, see what I did there, um, to, to what it means to be a slasher movie. Certainly wasn't the first slasher movie, but it's the one that really kind of puts, puts that genre on the map and puts it out there. Friday the 13th for me is the one that really creates the template, though, um, of what you get in the 80s, good and bad. And that has to be said because... There are a whole hell of a lot of imitators out there on Friday the 13th. Some of them are actually really, really good movies. I love The Burning. I think The Burning is like sure. a, a, it's a great little movie. You could argue without Friday the 13th, you don't have The Burning. Um, that being said, I've also seen Don't Go Into The Woods Alone. <laughs> um, and that also would not have existed without the likes of something like a Friday the 13th. And that movie is hot fucking garbage. So... Yeah, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. I think the movie needs to be on the list because of its importance within the genre, very much like Doug had said. Is it in the top two? Is it even in the top four? Probably not. I can think of easily four movies on this list already that I would put through before Friday the 13th. 
So you get no you get no disagreement <laughs> from me. I just want to say, by the way, that that of the ten that we're talking about today, Friday the Thirteenth is the only one that I think made horror movies worse after it came out. <laughs> I think. Mm. <laughs> is that right? Uh, maybe actually. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at them all. Yeah, I think you're probably right with that statement. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that was like, I can make a slasher movie. It's like it's like it's like that Evil Dead thing that we're talking about off here, which we can't talk about because obviously that's a spoiler. But you know, like you like basically you said like the Evil Dead is that movie that like indie filmmakers look back to. I think everyone saw Friday the 13th and said, I can make a slasher movie. I'm still I think... seeing, I, you know, for no budget nightmares, we watch a lot of micro budget, ultra low budget cinema, just people in their backyards with cameras. There are still in 2018, like dozens and dozens of people trying to make their own Friday the 13th movie. Yeah. And to, to, I guess to its credit to some extent, but most of them are, you know, why do you want to, why would anyone want to watch a pale imitation of a movie that's not that great in the first place? Yeah, yeah, it, it it comes back to it comes back to like it, it like I say it sets the blueprint out there. You can adapt that blueprint and make it your own. And a lot of people just thought it's easier just to make it again, which is a very lazy way of doing things. Um, so yeah, I think I think we're all kind of on uh, shades of agreeance on this one. Uh, I don't think we will lose any. If anyone can put forward the case in the listener group. Why Friday the Thirteenth is better than the two movies that ultimately make our it's top. Too late. Table. Yeah. Well, one one is too late. It won't change anything. But two, I'd really like to see that argument because um, we'll see how that goes. Um, right. So there we go. That was Friday the Thirteenth. Very very nice. Um, let's let's swing it to Bo. Um, <laughs> speaking of Halloween um, and a little guy called John Carpenter, he put out a movie this year. Um, and since I missed my opportunity in the UK recording as late as I am to say almost midnight because uh, we're far past midnight um, there's this little movie called The Fog it was directed by John Carpenter produced by Deborah Hill written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill it stars Adrian Barbeau Jamie Lee Curtis Tom motherfucking Atkins John Houseman Janet Lee, and Hal Holbrook um, the synopsis for this one was An unearthly fog rolls into a small coastal town exactly 100 years after a ship mysteriously sank in its waters. Um, something that I found super interesting from the factoids out there, although there is a ton of facts about this one, uh, is that after a rough cut of the movie appeared to be much shorter for the expected theatrical re release, about 80 minutes, John Carpenter subsequently added more scenes. Among these was the prologue of the old captain telling ghost stories to fascinate children by the campfire which is up there as one of my favourite openings to a horror movie ever. So, yeah, I'd, like all I'm going to say, some accidents are amazing. <laughs> like some, some kind of, should we shove something in? Yeah, let's just put something in. Like, can we just do that? Turn out to be some of the greatest things that happen in cinema. Uh, Bo Ransdell, I think I may have heard you once say that you kind of like The Fog. Um, refresh my memory. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is the second film on the list that made horror movies worse. Um... <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. See, I've seen that remake. Uh, remake. Yeah, I've seen that. Re I would agree a hundred percent. I've seen that remake. Yeah, and Carpenter himself, uh, you know, said at the time, like when he he signed off for them to do a Fog sequel, one of the or not sequel, but a remake of it. One of the reasons was is because it was such a low budget movie. In his mind, the Fog yeah. is not a great film of, mm -hmm. in his catalog. Um, about a third of the movie that you see now were the reshoots. Yeah, he had a horrible time making this movie, apparently. Yeah, and 
but I, I think that goes to show that sometimes directors are wrong about their own work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. They're too close to it, Bo. They're too close to it. Well, yeah, and, and also the idea of him having this moment where they had assembled, you know, the the assembly cut of the film and realized we don't have the movie, you know, yeah. and we've got to go back and, and fix this. Gotta go back in time. <laughs> bum, 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 da, 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 da. Oh, sorry. Um, but to his credit, like most of the time when you hear movies doing reshoots, especially extensive ones where you know, a third of the film is going to be replaced or enhanced. That generally sounds like a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, the fog is an elevation of the ghost story that you got in the sort of 40s and 50s and 60s in cinema of, uh, you know, these haunted house stories or, or whatever it, uh, the setting was. And this was a film that had a, a little bit bolder vision. I mean, it's a haunted town, not just a house or uh, a car, as Carpenter would later go on to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is much more about, um, a, like, a curse, which I like. I like a movie with a good curse in it. You're right, that Houseman open, opening is, in my mind, one of the most uh, iconic things in horror cinema. Uh, when I hear, you know, five till midnight, one, time for one more story, and he snaps that watch closed, I'm fucking bought in. Like, I want to see this movie now because I know what it is. It's just a ghost story. It's got a very clear beginning, middle, and end. It's anchored by characters that are, are disparate, who are doing different things in the movie, but are all interesting characters i like the relationship between tom atkins and jamie lee curtis in this movie i like adrian barbeau's character being the single mom who's bought this radio station in the middle of nowhere um i like the fact that carpenter names his characters after people he knows as well as horror figures it's mm -hmm. a gag i stole myself um I, I, there is nothing about this movie I don't enjoy. This was one another one of those movies where going into this list, I realized I don't have to watch The Fog again. I've seen The Fog easily 30 times in my life. But any excuse to sit down and for 90 minutes let this ghost story unfold, I, I will take it in a heartbeat. Like Doug was saying about Halloween. Like if you told me, I watched The Fog two days ago. And if you told me, like, you kind of need to watch The Fog again tomorrow, <laughs> I'm totally fine with that. Um, I, Hal Holbrook coming out of the darkness, being the spooky priest, is great. Anytime you've got an alcoholic Hal Holbrook in your movie, <laughs> you're doing God's work. And, yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm being a, a little hyperbolic in, in some of my statements, but it's just how I feel about the movie. I think next to Halloween and the thing i think the fog sits comfortably between those things i i think it's a more complicated movie than halloween but it's not nearly as great as the thing don't get me wrong but there is something about the progression of carpenter through these films and like the next movie he would go on to make was what uh uh assault on no escape from new york escape, was the next escape from new york yeah Right. So, I mean, this is Carpenter at his prime. He's firing on all, on all cylinders. Even if he doesn't think the movie is good, I think it's 
fucking amazing. And there we go. Uh, Doug Tilly, The Fog. Oh, it's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to keep this short and sweet. If you want to hear my thoughts on The Fog, you should listen to our ridiculously long <laughs> retrospective on the career of Ooh. John Carpenter. Uh, <laughs> just to remind those who may have all, who did listen to that or may not have listened to it, I had not seen The Fog until we did that episode because mm -hmm. I had always been under the impression that it was lesser Carpenter. It just wasn't, like, I was like, I was like, I'll get to it eventually. I mean, it's not that great. And then I watched it for the episode and I was like, what the fuck was I doing with my life? This is, <laughs> this list, and it, it like, it wasn't just, oh, hey, this is actually pretty good. This is better than I expected. It was like, like, this is like one of the best movies of the 1980s and I can't believe I was sitting on it for so long. I love it. It's fucking amazing. It's it's spooky. I know that word spooky is a kind of a loaded word, but it actually is. It's it's it has that that tone and uh, uh, feeling around it that is so unique in horror cinema and so hard to hit. And if you want to see someone fuck it up horribly, just watch the remake of the Fog. <laughs> but it it is like it is a master. You know that you you hear that master of horror, right? This is a master of horror at the top of it, like as as strong. Uh, uh, his skills were as refined as they were ever going to be. And this is him taking like a really difficult situation and making probably as good of a result out of it as you could possibly make. I think the fog is a masterpiece and I think it's like top three Carpenter as, as Bo said, I think it is just an amazing movie. And I'll tell you, if you are uh, like me and you maybe have not either not seen it or not revisited lately, you got to get on that brother because this movie is worth your time. There we go, there we go. I think that this movie is only bested by the remake. Um, <laughs> as, as soon as I hear some Fallout Boy playing over, like, you know, a, a boat full of teens partying, I know I'm in for a good time. Um, so, There's no fog I, out there. <laughs> I, I, I kid, obviously, I kid. Um, I do love the fact that that movie got remade and Carpenter was like that. Yeah, show me the money. Show me the money! Because <laughs> uh, that's what Carpenter does, and God bless him for it. You always know where you stand with John Carpenter, and I, I, it's kind of why I love him, and it's kind of why he's my favourite director. It's also kind of why The Fog is one of my favourite movies by him um i think it's on any given day you could pivot the fog as maybe the best kind of ghost story um committed to film i think there are certainly a, there's a pool of them uh, that are up there um as, as the best i think the fog is definitely in contention depending on what day and depending on how you craft your your opening statement to make that case I think it's difficult to argue it dim. Um, I think it's casted perfectly. I think everyone in the, in the movie is just phenomenal. Once again, it's that ability for John Carpenter to carve out a small slice of the world and just make you feel like you you live there or you're visiting uh, and everything feels realised. All the characters feel like people that you've met before or you know or you know, even if you met them for the first time, you'd want to spend more time to get to know them. Um, I think the premise of the movie is amazing. I think, I think he looks back on this movie maybe unkindly just because of the experience. And Carpenter, uh, maybe more than any of the directors uh, of the Masters of Horror, out with maybe someone like Romero, 
didn't have the greatest time. I mean, he got to he got to do a lot of what he wanted, but I think he always expected the next movie to be the movie that was going to catapult him onto the right. next big thing, and that didn't didn't really happen in the eighties much at all. And it blows my mind when we look back on them now because um, there are very few movies that manage to maintain atmosphere and, like you say, that kind of spooky sort of vibe as well as the phenomenal score of this movie is so good. Um, As John Carpenter manages to create, and this is still early Carpenter, you know what I mean? This is still Carpenter having been what his first movie wasn't even. It's, it's in the first six years of his career. Um, he puts out the fog. That to me is mind blowing. You know what I mean? The the it, it goes to show that the man is is very talented, very self assured, um, and even when he's second guessing himself and and kind of wobbly or what he thinks should be in this movie, ultimately what comes out is a, a piece of cinema that you would not know had a troubled background at all because it feels that fucking confident. Um, yeah, it, it's it, it's it, it's an elevated piece of work, which I, I kind of, with you guys, I think, I think if I sat down and thought about it, really, really started to, to kind of try to pin down what my top three Carpenter movies were. If The Fog isn't three, it's four. Um, and it's right in there. I think it's yeah. I think it's phenomenal. <laughs> Can't say enough good things about it. Um, when I realised that this movie and The Shining were in the same year, as well as some other movies which we started to touch on, I started to panic a little bit um, because I was like, maybe there's too much good in this year, <laughs> and that could prove to be troublesome later on. But yeah, it's phenomenal. Uh, yeah, I. I, I, I Listen to what we talked about on that round table. We talk about all <laughs> Carpenter's movies. We spend special care and attention speaking about how fucking awesome the fog is, though. And um, we were right then, and guess what? We're right now. So there we are. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, so let's swing this away. Um, let's get this one out of the way, actually. Uh, so, like, I, I kind of feel like we need to do this one before swinging back in. This was our official tenth pick. Um, we all joined in together on this one. This is Encounters of a Spooky Kind, directed by Sammo Hung. That's right, the Sammo Hung. Did not know that until I sat down and watched it. Uh, produced by, this is just a sea of names I'm never going to be able to pronounce. <laughs> uh, Chan, Chan Puwa, um, Raymond Chow, and Lao Chi Chong, which sounds like I have just made the most racist. You're- you're a racist, Duncan. <laughs> That's what his name is, Chi Chong. Honestly, right? I, I want off this podcast now. This is reprehensible. <laughs> it's Chi Chong, right? Um, written by Samuel Hall. Stop saying it. <laughs> right. It doesn't make it better with repetition. <laughs> you think that's bad? There's another corker coming up. Uh, Huang Ying, um, and it's uh, starring Samuel Hung. Oh, come on, really? Wong Ha, Dick Wee, Lam Ching Ling. <laughs> I'm done. And and, and Wuma. I'm actually starting to think that I am being punked. And this is <laughs> Doug's way of getting people to fucking shun me uh, and, and come to my house pitchforks and torches. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'd never seen this movie before. I'm going to be silent just now because we built up a, a scenario in which Doug kind of pushed this one out, Bo backed him up, and then I was like, yeah, I, I will go with your better judgment. 
What was it about, out with what you've already mentioned, because we can now start talking about the movie, out with where it comes from in the world and um, the importance of the diversity of the list, what is it about Encounters of the Spooky Kind that you feel, from a film point of view, mm-hmm. needs to be in this top ten? Well, in some ways, it's the fact that it's so fucking weird, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a very <laughs> strange movie in a lot of ways. It's a horror comedy <laughs> with... Uh, Sorry, my wife has decided to knock over everything in the. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's 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 a really strange movie. It's mixture of horror and comedy and martial arts, uh, and, and it kind of sits. The, the three elements kind of sit uncomfortably beside each other. What works best is actually the horror comedy. It, it it feels you know of the time period of something like The Evil Dead, except it actually leans harder into comedy than that movie did. Uh, and in some ways, I mean, you know, think about it. 1980, that alone is 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 kind of revolutionary. There mm-hmm. weren't a lot of horror comedies of this mold coming out at that time. Uh, and you know, you throw in some actually really impressive martial arts as well. Certainly not as much as you'd get in your normal Golden Harvest movie of this time period. But you still get you know the, some uh, some really impressive Samohung acrobatics, especially when he's facing off against one of the hopping vampires. And that is another thing that we really have to talk about. I mean, look. Hopping vampires are not everyone's cup of tea, but <laughs> if you've seen like the Mr. Vampire movie um, and, and, or movies, the series of movies, which by the way, star Lam Ching Ying, who was in this movie as the inspector, I mean, it, it, that role that he played in the Mr. Vampire movie became his defining role to the point where he basically played variations on that role for the rest of his entire career before passing mm-hmm. away, unfortunately, at a very young age. But I mean, the 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 hopping vampires, how they work in the context of the mythology of of kind of Chinese horror and chi- kind of Chinese mythology as a whole, the way that kind of black magic works. I mean, this is not the kind of horror that we're talking about with any of the other movies, even the supernatural horror movies that you're going to be talking about throughout the decade. This is something that kind of kind of uh, roots itself in mythology, just in the way that a lot of the, the uh, mythological stories of Kung Fu heroes kind of root themselves, you know, existing with one foot in reality and one foot in kind of this exaggerated version of reality. I, it is not a great movie to watch if you're looking for a great horror movie, no doubt about it. And it actually pales, I think, in comparison to a lot of the films that in, that it inspired. Something like if you watch like Chewie Hark's um, uh, Chinese ghost story, which I think is amazing. And I hope that that gets some discussion a little later in the decade. It 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 This movie feels like uh, much more amateurish because you could tell that they're making up a lot of it as they go along. The opening sequence during the credits doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't even really connect with the rest of the movies. This is very common with the martial arts movies from Golden Harvest at this time period where you felt that a lot of it was kind of just being made up on the fly or you only had kind of a basic structure. But I actually think that there are some legitimate tension and there's some legitimate scares in this movie. I do think that the way that they use the uh, the hopping vampires is actually really impressive, considering that that conceptually from a Western audience, it's probably just it's hard to get over how comical that kind of concept is. And also, like the dead bodies, the corpses in this movie, like they, they do not shy away from the Lucio Fulci close-ups of of uh, maggots and worms <laughs> crawling all over the faces. Uh, I, uh, I I don't think I could ever make a case that this is going to be top two or even top five for 1980, but I'm really glad that we're talking about it because I feel like its importance in the context of the horror that was to come throughout the rest of the decade it can't be denied. All right, there we go. Um, I will kick in right now 
and say that I, well obviously I'd never seen the movie before. I had a ball with this. I thought this was so much fun. Um, I'd never heard of this movie before and you know, having since found out that there are sequels, <laughs> which Sorry. I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know if they're worth checking out, but um, but yeah, I, I thought this was great. I didn't expect even once the name Samuel Hung come up, and like big fan of Samuel Hung, um, I didn't expect there to be like I didn't expect there to be martial arts in this movie at all. Um, I don't know why because I have seen plenty. Of the you know you know the ilk um, of kind of the the kind of horror crossover into the martial arts genre um, from that part of the world. I, I just I don't know what it was. It kind of caught me off guard. Um, I think you're right. I think this does things which kind of feel very experimental for the time, which are now just kind of taken for granted within the genre, or even taken for granted within. 80s cinema. It kind of feels like it's almost like at the beginning of the curve of where we're going to go in terms of a lot of the, the maybe the more goofier aspects but certainly it covers a lot of the like you're talking about like shades of like like Fulci in terms of the the the, the gruel so to speak of of like maggots and stuff didn't expect that was surprised when I saw that um I I thought just going through it that there it surprised me at how how fine that balancing act is between the like out and out ridiculous comedy of the movie, you know, where they really are going for that kind of almost slapstick approach to the kind of comedy, dim to the bits that actually work as a horror movie. Um, that is not a, that's not a keen balancing act at all, and I think um, it's not one that's easily done. And there are plenty of movies out there that fail in doing it, but they seem to strike a really, a really good balance in this movie throughout that I, I, I've really enjoyed. Um, I would say, even having watched this, there are maybe I could maybe have still made a case to have one of the other five in above it. Mm. But that being said, I think the list is better for this movie being on it. I really, really do. I genuinely think the list is... I think I would put even City of the Living Dead or the Ninth Configuration, which were probably sure. the two I was leaning to towards the top. I think it would have been... Yeah, we could have had an interesting conversation about them and all the rest. But in terms of me hitting through watching all the movies, I watched this about the midway point and it was a complete palate cleanser. Mm. I just felt great. And then I followed this movie up uh, by watching Cannibal Holocaust and realised I should have watched them in a different order. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because it went Cannibal Holocaust and then right into The Shining and I thought, oh... This is a hard shift, um, a heavy, heavy day. But yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I'd be keen out with this if there are more movies in a similar vein that you're aware of, and it seems like you know your shit, Doug, um, that you send me a list of suggested titles to check I mean, through. I mean, I'd be keen to check them out. The natural uh, follow-up point is the Mr. Vampire series, and I'll tell you, if you are unsure about it, a few years ago... Uh, there was a movie released called Rigor Mortis, uh, and it's mm-hmm. yeah, yes. it's not. A, I, I I saw it at at the Toronto International Film Festival. It it is not a great movie, though it, it it's visually really really interesting. But if you go back and watch the Mr. Vampire movies, um, and and this movie as well, the 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 fat priest in this movie, he's in Rigor Mortis. Um, almost the entire central cast come from Mr. Vampire. It's it's meant to be kind of a modern tribute 
to those movies and this style of movie. Um, so it might be a good starting place for some people who are maybe, you know, are not, not as used to Hong Kong films of this time period, but it's, it's definitely worth your while to go back, watch Mr. Vampire and maybe some of its sequels, watch a Chinese ghost story and then go back and watch rigor mortis. I, I bet you'd have a real appreciation for it. I will do. I will do. Right. Bo Ransdell swing in here encounters of the spooky kind. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, this is obviously kind of my jam. I, I love any movie where the central character has to throw chicken eggs at a corpse to keep it <laughs> from hopping out of its uh, Don't forget coffin. the dog legs. <laughs> right, the blood and dog legs. There's some uh, well-timed domestic abuse. Um, it, Yeah, it's just one of those movies that is so charmingly goofy and yet is able to pull off more than it should be able to in, in terms of, of shifting in tone and uh, like Doug was saying there, there are moments of genuine tension in this movie that almost shouldn't work but somehow do um, I really like this movie a lot it had been a while since I'd seen it but as soon as he brought it up uh, when we were discussing our list I was like oh yeah I can, I can absolutely get behind um, encounters of the spooky kind and watching it again was just another reminder of what a treat uh, the movie is in general it's it's just such fun and it, it, I don't know that it, it actually falls all that low on my personal list you know I don't know that it's top five but it's closer than not I think uh, just because of that very thing that, that it's got a real energy there's a monkey god. There's a monkey god possession. <laughs> that was the bit I thought he was going to lead with. Like, genuinely thought he was going to lead with because we all know that monkeys and bull. You know. <laughs> yeah, but to, to that point, like, th this is one of those movies that seems peculiarly tailored for my sensibilities. <laughs> and yeah, I love it. I, th I think it's a fantastic movie. I, I, I wouldn't even give it the caveats because I, I like to live on the edge. Uh, I would tell people like, "Hey, if hopping vampire corpses uh, tickle your your funny bone or your fancy, uh, you should absolutely check this movie out." And <laughs> and also having recently, like when we did the thirst episode on on Go Show not terribly long ago, Duncan, um, you know the the middle piece on that was on the idea of Asian vampires and Shangxi, uh, somewhat in particular. And I, I would say Thirst is a very elevated uh, version of a movie like this. It doesn't have the, the martial arts aspect of it. Mm -hmm. But there is something about like carrying those traditions forward um, that I really like. But yeah, if you want the raw stuff, if you want the pure shit, um, <laughs> then yeah, you go back to this. And, and like Doug was saying, you go to the Mr. Vampire series and have at it because you're going to... It's a great time. Like, this movie ought to come with a six-pack. And it's a shame <laughs> that it does. <laughs> nice, nice. Right, remember when we were all talking about The Fog and we were like, yeah, The Fog, one of the finest ghost stories <laughs> oh, ever written? Remember, remember when we said that? Remember, like, yeah, and I was like, on any given day, any given day, ladies and gents, I, I would sit there and say, you know, The Fog is... The finest ghost story ever written um, and put to the screen and yeah and, and we're all like yeah Duncan that feels good well no one spoke when I said that everyone reserved what they were thinking <laughs> I thought the microphone picked up nodding though um, like nodding in agreement 
I'm sure the microphone's picked that up, so uh, I'll check later on, but that's kind of what it sounded like. Um, yeah, in a world where the movie we're about to discuss doesn't exist, then The Fog is very much like Jet Li in the movie The One, one step closer to being the ultimate power. <laughs> um, <laughs> for, for this movie, does exist. Uh, it was one of my picks, although, to be honest with you, I think the reason neither one of you chaps picked it is because you assumed that someone was picking it uh-huh is it safe to say that yeah like no one no one was saying you know like they were like that duncan's got this one we'll leave it in his capable hands we hope that he doesn't pick humanoids from the deep instead <laughs> is that is that where we're going yeah i can it can yeah, it, yeah, I, I thought I, it was going I, I, it must have been an oversight. I, I could have sworn that I threw it uh, on my my initial list of five, but yeah, you had um, no, you had it on your initial list of five. It's just when you came to pick your list of three, you didn't pick it. That's oh, okay, I mean. yeah, I, yeah, and I, yeah, I guess I suppose uh, at that point I supposed that right, it was just a given. But yeah, I mean that's the case. The Shining is a given on this list. Wait, we're talking about the Shining? <laughs> I'm not ta- literally not talking about the Shining. I'm talking about the Changeling Ball. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> Set that up perfectly, and you ruined it once again. You pulled a Ransdell. This is what he what does do. everything. He pulled a Ransdell. Um, yeah, like we're obviously talking about the Changeling. Um, the beauty of the way the list is set out as well is that we each get our three picks, and then that last pick there is really just in case all three of us have cocked up and we have a chance to fix it with our last pick. Uh, you know, like, obviously this movie should be there. But yeah, I put in, I swung in the Changeling uh, because it's the fucking Changeling uh, directed by uh, Peter Medak um, and that might be the wrong pronunciation of his name, but I don't care. Uh, produced by Joel B. Michaels uh, and Gareth H. Drabinsky. Written by Russell Hunter, William Gray, and Diana Maddox, starring George C. Scott, is it ever? Um, Trish Von Dever, uh, Melvin Douglas, and uh, Helen Burns, and Jean Marsh, and other folks. Um, synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb. A man staying at a secluded historical mansion finds himself being haunted by the presence of a spectre. This movie is fucking amazing. <laughs> right. I ain't trying to, ain't trying to convert anyone here. If you don't like the changeling, stop listening to the fucking show and go somewhere else. Um, and we are living very much in a time period, ladies and gents, where in the next two months this movie will be out in glorious high definition, mm-hmm. given fantastic treatment, and I can't wait to have it. My grubby little paws, because it's one I've been calling out for ages. We live in a world just now, a world that I'm quite happy about, that has two different versions, 4K. Prince, by the way, of Rawhead Rex, right? That's all I'm saying. There are two prints of Rawhead Rex. There's the Kino Lorber one and the Arrow Video one. I own them both. I have two 4K prints of Rawhead Rex, and I don't have a, a I don't have a high definition quality copy of the Changeling in my connection. That is cruel. That is fucking cruel and weird and wrong. Uh, it will be rectified within the next the next two months the change then is a proper old-fashioned ghost story like we're talking about the fog kind of you know harking back to those old ghost stories of the 40s and 50s the change in that ilk as well right um and what it has is i think a, a central performance by george c scott which is the reason this movie works on the level that it does, in my opinion. He sells this movie. Anyone else in this role doing half the job he's doing, and it's just it's just not as convincing. It's just not as scary. Um, 
as what you have here. The pain and trauma on this guy's face. This guy is acting his fucking heart out in this movie and you run the Rubicon of emotions with him. I think it is beautifully shot. I think it is so well constructed. I think um, the supporting cast is phenomenal. I think <laughs> when I watch this movie, I just get absorbed into its world. I think it's difficult, nay impossible, to sit and talk about 1980 and not to have within the first sentence or two the changeling. And the changeling, when, like when I realised obviously the fog changeling on the same list, um, I started to panic a little bit. I, I started to panic a little bit because coming back to watch it again um, for, for recording this show, and it had been about a year since I'd watched it, but coming back to watch it again, there is that concern, how will I How will I see this movie this time? Like when I'm really putting on the uh, the scrutiny of, of kind of stacking them up and, and, and trying to work out what is what is my favourite and what I consider the best of this particular year. And there's always that danger that you just catch a movie in the wrong frame of mind or you just catch a movie in just not the right light even though you, you think it's a given and then you watch it again and then you find something that kind of starts to make you question your, your picks and your thought process. And that didn't happen with The Changeling. It finished and I was like that. This movie is as reliable as the sun rising every morning. <laughs> um, it is just fucking awesome. Um, and yeah, I will we'll betide anyone that, that, that disagrees. Um, that being said, Doug, tell us what you think of The Changeling. Well, I hate to, uh, to dry your ire, uh, Duncan, but The Changeling... Did you know, Duncan, that The Changeling was the very first movie to win a Best Picture Gemini Award? The Gemini is the Canadian Academy Awards, apparently. <laughs> God bless you. They, they changed it to the Canada Screen Awards or something like that a couple of years ago. But uh, yes, The Changeling, uh, yeah, I, I tried to, to play off like I wasn't going to like it. No, this is a terrific, really underloved movie and i hope that changes now with the uh the upcoming release it's really beautifully told it fits very well into the kind of movies horror movies that are popular right now um mm -hmm. ones that are building you know a lot of tension uh built around kind of a sense of realism that doesn't like lean too heavily into the supernatural elements um one of the the funny things about this movie is i remember reading reviews for it and some of the criticisms about it were that george c scott's character was almost too logical like that yeah well to me like that's what makes the movie he's mm -hmm. he, you know even though the movie is is ostensibly based on a true story or a true-ish story and even if you're a, very much a skeptic about supernatural elements like i am i, I like seeing a, a guy who's like okay i don't know how to handle this what am i supposed to do in this circumstance the cops aren't going to believe me my you know and so you know he's getting recordings and he's building up evidence and he's trying to find out things himself you know it's very much kind of a mystery movie at its core and i feel like it's a very satisfying mystery because it doesn't telegraph itself too much it all builds on itself it all comes to kind of a very satisfying very kind of uh visual conclusion compared to the rest of the movie which is very low-key it's not like this is a movie full of explosions until you get kind of a fiery climax uh, and that george c scott 
probably George C. Scott might be a little too old for the role that he's playing here, mm-hmm. but he's so fucking good that it doesn't matter. And particularly because since he, spoiler alert, his family is killed off in the first couple of minutes. And it's a really, it's a harrowing scene. It's a really uh, unpleasant, uh, but very well shot one. But since you kind of dispose of them, it kind of doesn't matter that he's a little too old because we're, we're just with him so much for the rest of the movie. Uh, and they don't kind of shoehorn in like a, a a love interest afterwards there's obviously you know people that he becomes close to but the, the mystery is the core of it and there's some real kind of uh, there's substantial tension here here's the thing about canadian movies from this time period this is a canadian movie directed by a hungarian and funded with american money that's <laughs> partially filmed in the united states and just happens to have a lot of it filmed in vancouver so it's you know I I I I'm kind of mocking the idea of it being Canadian to some extent with again an American star at, at uh, as well, but uh, I do take a little bit of pride in the fact that the Changeling, however many hoops you have to go through to make it work, is a Canadian movie because hey, there's nothing else Canadian on this list and uh, and you know we're Cronenberg's going to get most of the attention later in the decade. Let's uh, let's stick with the Changeling for now. It's a great movie. Phenomenal, Bo Ransdell. I have been told. Um... By yourself, actually. I was going to play it off with someone else, too. But, but, no, <laughs> yeah, but it's you that's told me this. Uh, that you deeply adore this movie. Share your reasons why. Well, uh, you know, I hate it when Doug goes first uh, because he, he steals all, all my points. But you were going to talk the, about the Gemini Award as well, yeah? I was. But I, I don't know if you knew this about me, Duncan, but I am as big a fan of the Gemini Awards as they've ever had. Uh, <laughs> I, but I I love a movie where someone is thrust into a paranormal situation and just tries to manage it. Yes. Um, and and much like something uh, like The Legend of Hell House is another movie I love where you, you try to apply science to the supernatural and that sort of thing. And I think what the, the Changeling does so well is you have uh, your, your central character of George E. Scott who isn't initially terrified by this it's more as doug pointed out it's more the mystery of it of hey this thing is trying to communicate why and what does it want and as that unfolds it reveals the deeper mystery of the film which is really really satisfying and i i think that one of the the things about the changeling that hangs with me every time i see it it's just the one scene of the bouncing ball coming down the stairs Mm -hmm is one of the most supremely eerie scenes, I think, in any horror film because of the personal connection that George C. Scott has to this ball and where it came from, and also this full acknowledgement that this is uh, a, an entity in this house that is trying to communicate with him, but can only do so in the most, you know, creepy possible way uh, because it's a ghost. And I, I like the turns that it takes. I think Melvin Douglas is actually quite good in this movie as as the senator. And I have a lot of sympathy for his character. I think that he is... he is, There's not really a villain in this movie mm-hmm. except for a character who has long since died. And I think that's really interesting that it's, it, it is a, a movie entirely about the sins of the, fa- the father being visited on the child. Mm-hmm. And I there there is something really wonderful about that to me. I, I I think it works on every level. I think the performances are great. I I think that it's I, I a fun mystery, 
and when it all wraps up it does so in a way that feels you know natural to to the story being told and also doesn't overstay its well welcome as soon as the story is done the movie is over <laughs> and i appreciate that i you know it, kind of the reverse of my problem with uh dress to kill is that movie overstays its welcome for me mm. just by a couple of minutes whereas the changeling is like you know once george c scott starts yelling like none of this is yours um <laughs> Then we're on a timer. It's like, okay, we got about six minutes before this movie wraps up, and I like that. Very nice, very nice. Right. Um, well, might as well just get this one out of the way because Bo jumped the gun. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> we're talking. We were talking about ghost movies, you know? Yes, we were. That's right. And you are right in some respects, but Doug read between the lines, why can't you? <clears throat> because I'm not as smart as Doug Duncan, is that what you want to hear? That's exactly what That's, I wanted to I hear. Actually, I wanted to hear that too, so thank you. Yeah. And now, now I have it now I have it recorded and now I can sample it out and send it to Doug and me and Doug can listen to it as much as we want. It's gonna right. be the theme put song a, to my podcast. <laughs> yeah. Put a put a beat under it. Yeah, I think it'll work. <laughs> Right, so let's let's swing it like to yeah one of we're we're been scutting around this one for a wee while. Might as well tackle it as as the the proverbial sort of elephant in the room of massive fucking horror movies in this year. Uh, it's a little movie called The Shining, directed by Stanley Kubrick, produced by Stanley Kubrick, screenplay by Stanley Kubrick and Diane Johnson, based on The Shining, the book by Stephen King. Which Stephen King has no issues with this movie at all. Um, none. <laughs> really none. loves it. Yeah. Not bitter about it, and does not wait for any opportunity to mention in his now very old age about how angry he is about uh, Stanley Kubrick's interpretation. Because that's what it is, Stephen. I know you don't listen to horror podcasts, but that's what it is. It's his interpretation, right? He didn't call it like Stephen King's The Shining. He called it Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Um, sorry, The Shining, uh, starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Scatman Carruthers, and Danny Lloyd. Bo Ransdell, this is one of your movies. You've just talked to us about The Changeling. You've talked about all those creepy ghosts and all the, the atmosphere and all the tension. Let's go for something with a bit of mania. What do you What do you think of The Shining? I, I'm now compelled by this idea that the fog and the shining and the changeling are all jet lees in this scenario. <laughs> and, I, I, and I really want the fog to throw a motorcycle at the shining. Um, but, but I mean, the shining is, uh, you know, it, it's, it's beyond reproach. You know, it is uh, depending on your viewing or your mood at the time. The Shining is either one of the most effective haunted house films ever made, or it is one of the greatest cabin fever slash uh, dude losing his shit movies ever made. And there is a reasonable argument to be made for both. Um, it's a Kubrick film. It looks beautiful. The music is amazing. Um, there is an, an unsettling amount of of mirror imagery in the film that only adds to the mystique of The Shining. It is the only film on this list that had an entire documentary made about crackpots <laughs> reading too much into it. 
the, the, the documentary is about obsession and they base that around The Shining. It's yeah. not just about The Shining Ball, it's about that's how people that's obsess. Actually, that's a good point that you made there, Duncan. Yeah, thank um, you. I'm just going to like Bo. He's trying to... He's trying, I, see, I see Bo's game. And I see what he's doing. He's like, crackpots watch this movie. You see what he did there, dog? He's trying to twist it. He's trying to... Don't let him get to you. This is what he does. It's always mind games with Rans, though. I'm just always saying mind that, games. that the Native American interpretation, I think, actually has some validity to it. I think... Well, I, I, I'll tell you right now, I, up until watching that, that documentary, I hadn't even considered that Kubrick maybe faked the moon landing. And then afterwards, I was like, of course he did. <laughs> the kid's wearing fucking... a sweater! <laughs> he's wearing a, he's, why is he wearing a sweater? And why is the carpet shaped like fucking the the takeoff site? And why are the vehicles also like the snapshot of the picture? It doesn't make sense. Coincidence? Kubrick didn't do coincidence. No everything, coincidence. No, everything is there for a reason. Sorry, Bo, we're stealing your thunder. Here. No, that's fine. I like how the fact that we've mostly been agreeable on this show and you just decided to sow dissent on your own. Uh, this is what I do, Bo. For Scottish. drama. <laughs> how dare you, sir? I would never. I would never do that. And you smell. Um, so... <laughs> uh, not wrong. Um, yeah, I, 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 mean, I mean, let's just get this out of the way. It is the greatest Jack Nicholson performance ever. It is one of the greatest performances ever, as far as I'm concerned. Jack Nicholson is so unsettling in this movie. There is nothing quite as uncomfortable as that scene where Danny is sneaking into, you know, their their sort of groundskeeper uh, room and looks over to see Jack Nicholson staring flatly at nothing. Mm-hmm. When he looks over and he's like, come here, Danny. <laughs> You're just like, get the fuck away from him. <laughs> Should be a Danny-shaped hole in the wall right now. And I smashed right. it. Yeah, yeah. Like, true to his namesake, uh, leaving a puff of smoke behind him as Doc flees the room. Yeah, I, I think there, there's just nothing wrong with it. You know, it is it is a movie that I think is rewarding as many times as I've seen it. Going back and watching it again, much like the situation with The Fog of like, I, I need to talk about The Shining. Well, I should watch The Shining again. I don't need to. <laughs> I have so much of that movie burned into my brain. But any excuse to sit down for two and a half hours and let that movie do its thing. Um, the, the disintegration of Jack Torrance's character by the end of that movie where he is, you know, muttering unintelligible garbage yeah. through, yeah, well. through just... a maze holding an axe as he hunts for his son to murder him is just one of the most indelible images in, in film history. Um, yeah, I mean, the it, it it's unassailable. The, the Shining is one of the greatest, not just one of the greatest horror movies ever made, it's just one of the greatest movies ever made. There we go. Yeah, on any given day, if you ask me what my favourite horror movie is of all time, you will get one of two answers. You will either get The Thing or you'll get The Shining. And the reason behind that is that both the movies to me are perfect. They're perfect horror movies. There are other movies that I will say are perfect horror movies, but perfection doesn't necessarily mean that they still get me every time I watch it. I watch The Shining maybe once, twice a year. I tend to tend to have to watch it for some sort of review or podcast which is that one time 
but I always save it for when it gets a bit closer to Halloween or just after Halloween, the nights get darker and I will sit up midnight and shove on The Shining and watch it myself and I I creep myself out watching this movie. <laughs> Every single time it has the same, it's had the same effect on me since I saw it the first time you know, early teens and will continue for the rest of my life. It has never lit up. I think it is an exercise in pure lunacy and terror uh, helmed by one of the most clinically clinically creative and at the same time obsessive filmmakers of all time. I think the the performances I, I get I get King's criticism. I get it. I've read The Shining a couple of times and I get your criticism. I also hypothesize to you that if you're making a two-hour movie, you can't make that book into a two-hour movie unless you speed things along. There's not enough time to allow Jack to be, you know, a damaged character who is not as clearly damaged as Jack Nicholson is right from the start of this movie. <laughs> it's, not, it's not possible. And he really hates the way that Shelley Duvall plays Wendy in this movie you know like it, it, it ruins the character and moves it away from her but to me I think she is I, I see I see Jack Nicholson and I see how unhinged he is and then I see his wife terrified around him and I'm like that makes sense what totally makes sense to me um I think she's phenomenal in this movie as well I think Kubrick put her through the ringer he really broke her down he ruined her he ruined her like she was never the same after this movie she had to check herself into a psych ward um and he destroyed her and the it was just the nature of how Kubrick wanted to make this movie he had a singular vision and he delivered arguably one of the greatest horror movies that has ever been made and I could talk about it for hours and not get bored of every little scene that I love every you know every shot some of the stuff that's just throwaway why the fuck is that bear going down on that guy and why do we have no explanation at all and why are they both looking at me at this point um you know, there, there's, there's so much weirdness about this movie that the whole Grady situation and how you know there appears to be two Gradys, but there shouldn't be two Gradys. And is that an inconsistency or is that deliberate? And the fact that you know Kubrick deliberately makes everything disorientated by making a, a, a layout of a house that doesn't work the, the layout of the floor doesn't work and he knows that and that's a subconscious thing that just adds to the maze of what this movie is and links it cleverly back to the maze it has it has a better ending than the book sorry for anyone that that offends um the ending of the shine in the movie is better than the ending of the shine in the book um and to me as 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 scared as i was reading the shining um, it has never hit me the same way as watching the movie. Uh, I think it's fucking in incredible. <laughs> like, I can't say enough great things about it. And I, I will say that nothing tickled me more uh, the this week than having watched The Shining um, on the same day that I watched Ready Player One for the first time. I hadn't <laughs> seen it. And 
their their nod to the shit they're more than just a nod to the shining in the middle of that movie made me smile so much that and i was on a train coming back up that anyone would have thought i'd been taking drugs um so yeah uh yeah as as yeah i kind of feel like I've, I've talked about this movie enough and i kind of feel like it's it's almost academic isn't it doug isn't the shining almost academic Oh, is it, Duncan? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just thinking that probably for at least one or, or maybe a couple of the podcasts that you have coming up, you're going to run into someone who's a contrarian, right? Who, who, yes. And 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 it, 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 I'm sure that's very frustrating for you. And I guess it, for all, we're all to one extent or another, we can be contrarians sometimes. But to me, The Shining can't be denied. You know, you can't deny it as as a superior horror film as a superior film as a whole i mean it, it it i know there are people who don't care for it and not just stephen king and i'll tell you what as you mentioned duncan that you're sympathetic for stephen king i'm very sympathetic i mean he wrote a book that was very personal about his own alcoholism and and to see it be unrecognizable to him i can see how that would be very traumatic but you know this is kubrick elevated what was already a really strong book he elevated the material into something completely different and all you have to do is watch that Mick Garris piece of fucking garbage, and uh, <laughs> yes, Doug, and and you can see that like that's the difference. You know that is that's what an adaptation that King can be comfortable with is compared to this, which is you know an, it's a work of art and it's one that will sustain and be appreciated you know dozens of years in the future. It. There's, there's not a lot left to say after both of you have already talked. That's something that we've found throughout the, the recording of this podcast as a whole. Um, but I will say that, the to me, just like with uh, some of the other movies that we've talked about, a lot of the complaints about The Shining, the fact that Jack Nicholson's character seems like he's crazy right off the, right off the top of the movie, the fact that Shelley Duvall is in a kind of uh, hysterical state the entire time, those to me are all pluses not minuses you know those are things i enjoy about the movie when i'm watching it and just like bo said i mean this is a movie if it's on i'll watch it i'm just gonna fucking watch it beginning to end if i pick it up in the middle i'll watch it till the end it's just one of those movies where there's so much about it that i enjoy and so many of the sequences are iconic in a way that i don't get sick of that uh that to me it's just a it's hard. It's weird to say that a movie like this is a joy, but I get a, so much joy out of watching it and watching the performances and watching the cinematography and watching how it's laid out and watching kind of the fact that it is such a dense movie that can have so many interpretations. I mean, this is the work of a genius director, you know, making a genius horror movie. We don't have very many of them, so let's celebrate the ones that we have. I mean, even on this list, I think there's only two, uh, but maybe we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Ooh, I like how he did that there. See how he did that now, Bo. Now Doug's playing mind games. Doug's like, there are only two. You must choose only two. And he is right. There, are, We can only choose two. But maybe there's more than two to choose from, Doug. Maybe. Uh, so um, it kind of feels right that we go from talking about a, a pure auteur of cinema and close out with a movie that is grimy, it's grubby, it's fucking awesome. Um, it's a movie that is another one that I have watched far too many times and I've seen the original at a very impressionable age as well. Um, <laughs> that was a mistake on my part in that when I was about seven years old, I saw the first Maniac Cop movie and I loved it. And then when, like about two years later, when I was at the video store, 
with my dad and he said I could pick a movie I saw Maniac and thought that was Maniac Cop turns out different movie different <laughs> oops same, di- <laughs> same director different fucking movie uh, so yeah Woo! Uh, that that did not go down well in the McLeish household. Um, directed by William Lustig, produced by Andrew W. Garoni and William Lustig, written by C. A. Rosenberg and Joe Spinell, and starring Joe Spinell and Caroline Monroe. Synopsis for this one on IMDb is: A psychopath troubled by his childhood abuse, loose in New York City, kills young women and takes their scalps as trophies. Will he find the perfect woman in a photographer and end this killing spree? Doug, this is the last movie. Mm-hmm. This is your choice, sir. Um, I'll educate us a little bit in Maniac. Well, this is, to me, like this is a definitive Doug movie, just oh, from the nature oh, oh. of what I know your podcasts are. I knew you were picking this. So. It's, it's really interesting because... You know, at its heart, Maniac is a slasher movie. Like Friday the Thirteenth is a slasher movie, right? It's mm-hmm. about a person. Uh, at this point, we we know who they are in this movie, but you know, they're stalking and they're killing people in various gruesome ways. There isn't a lot of story to it. Uh, Carolyn Monroe only gets kind of introduced at the halfway mark, and there's really not much to their relationship. I mean, really, the my only criticism. Uh, my oh, let's say the biggest criticism about Maniac is the idea that Kyle Monroe would ever be interested in someone who looks like Joe Spinell. <laughs> but but hey, th- there's a lot of uh, you got to stretch your ability to, to to believe here. But here's the thing, Maniac is like the flip side for me of, of Friday the Thirteenth. It's it's everything a movie like Friday the Thirteenth should be. It's grimy. It's dirty. It has a massively committed performance so much so that it's hard to disconnect Joe Spinell from the character he plays here. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a shame that he died uh, so early, but I mean, if you ran into him on the street, you'd be like, Oh, this guy's a fucking scumbag. No doubt about it. And he probably murders women just for kicks. And it also, it doesn't trade in the psychology of his character. Really? It, 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 you know, there's some, some rote, um, very obvious mother issues that he has that, that are explained along the way, but it doesn't matter. Like this guy is out of his fucking mind and we are going to spend, you know, 90 minutes with him as he goes on his little adventures and it's going to be completely unpleasant, but you can't take your eyes off of him. And it's also going to be kind of, uh, um, mixed up with this early nine, uh, sorry, early eighties uh, atmosphere of the streets of this guerrilla filmmaking where they're obviously filming in places they're not allowed to. And then there the moments of violence are not just intense. They're like as intense as you can get, you know, it's not just people's throats getting cut. It's a shotgun to the fucking face, right? Mm-hmm. This is the, there's a lot of reasons not to like maniac. Definitely. And the misogyny in it is is that there's a real case to be made that uh, this movie has some real issues with women, no doubt about it. Um, but it's also, to me, it's it's about as pure, it's like a distilled version of a slasher movie. You know, even more so than those excessively violent Italian versions of this sort of thing. To me, this is what I want out of a horror movie that's, you know, that doesn't have a lot of resources, doesn't have a lot of money. It's people who have committed thoroughly and entirely to a very simple concept and they take it as extreme as they can possibly take it and i it's not for everyone and uh and it's not going to be my top two but it's a a movie that i think you know in a similar vein to cannibal holocaust you kind of got to see it 
Yeah, yeah, I think um, when it comes to Maniac, it's interesting you mentioned the, the kind of Italian connection there uh, in terms of, like, the... T- to me, like, for some reason, I always mentally pair up um, a torso... Oh right, and maniac! Like, is this great? Like, that's that's a bitch and double bill if you ever want to watch them. Um, and there is this thing about how Italians do that sort of cinema, and how, like, to me, Americans should do that cinema in the like specifically in the eighties. Like, Torso is this grimy little movie, but it's beautifully shot. It's fucking wonderfully shot. It's because it's like. It, Italian cinema, so like even right. even as grubbiest grubbiness um, levels in Italian cinema, there's still like fucking beautiful cinematography right. and scenery and saying. all the rest. Yeah, Maniac is the the Americanized version of it mm-hmm. that I want and I crave. I can I can taste the air of New York City watching Maniac. I can like I I can almost put my finger along any counter and lift up and feel the grease underneath my fingers it is such a tactile experience watching that it, get, it adds to the movie it adds to the the, the, the vibe um, I think this movie is is fucking wonderful like genuinely think it's like th- this is another one that there's rumours flying around now that there's a I think there's a 4k restoration of this coming out <laughs> and part of me is like do I want to see this in 4k and I'm like I, I want to fucking own it right so I'll buy it anyway but I don't know how much that will strip out but then I'm thinking how much will that elevate because William Lustig's a good fucking director. Yeah. I mean, he's got a really good eye. Um, and that guerrilla style of filmmaking you're talking about just adds to the... I mean, New York, like, I'm not the first one to say this, I won't be the last, but New York is a character in this movie. <laughs> um, but New York is a character, and, and rightly so. It sets up everything. Um, it's one of the reasons that I really... I'm a big fan of the remake, um, the mm-hmm. Elijah Wood remake. I think it's it's a fucking great remake because it doesn't try and remake Maniac per se. It moves it to the West Coast, um, picks a different sort of environment with different sort of people that it run into, corrects what you would say is maybe the only issue in Maniac and that Elijah Wood is a bit more attractive and thus... <laughs> um, comes across as a bit more willing through internet dating and stuff like that to, to meet these women and, and, and do what he does. Um, like you can sense, like that's kind of what I love about like Spinell's performance here, is that he is the character. And I, I don't think for one second that's what he was like in real life, but maybe he was. Who do I, what do I know? I know fucking nothing about it, but there's <laughs> he could very well have been, but you... It's so. It's like we're saying Jack Nicholson is like maybe his best performance is The Shining because the mania is there from the start and it just embodies it and he commits to it fully. Spinell approaches it, I feel, in the same way and it's what adds to the authenticity of the character. Very much, I, th- I can't remember who mentioned it earlier on. I want to say it was Doug mentioned Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Mm-hmm. Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer makes me feel kind of the same way I feel when I watch Maniac in that I kind of feel like I'm watching something I shouldn't be. Um, even as an adult, I still feel like I'm watching something that I shouldn't be. That this is meant for real adults, and I'm not one of them yet. Um, and, it's, and it's it's weird because it's, when you see Jack Nicholson in other roles, you're like, oh, here's Jack Nicholson. Now he's in Chinatown, and now he's in The Witches of Eastwick or whatever, right? But when I see yeah. Joe Spinell in other movies, I'm like, there's the guy from Maniac pretending to be something else, but he's really <laughs> he's really Frank Zito at heart. Everyone knows it. 
Yeah, it's 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 so, and I think that's a credit to his performance. I think that there is that danger that certain actors do like do like give so much into a certain role that they become they become almost the the, the caricature of that role in the real world after it. And I think he he kind of embodies that. I think it's I think the the I think this is an early Savini special effect thing as well i think savini worked on this one didn't he yep he did and he's in it too (laughs) yeah and that's right he has um i mean he used the last mold if the legend is correct the last mold he had of his face was the one that was exploded using the shotgun um and you could tell it was the mold because the nose hadn't been fixed from the (laughs) surgery that he'd had um and yeah, all those stories just add to it. I think it's yeah, I think it's more than deserving of being on an eighties list. I think it's a hugely important movie. And once again, I will not disagree with you. If we're talking about like pure slasher films, Maniac is light years ahead of Friday the Thirteenth. It's on a different planet. It exists in a different bubble in a different world. Um, and it's because everything that maybe should be something that you know maybe his performances too aggressive into the character or maybe New York is the style of filmmaking we're doing is maybe a little bit too cheap that it should somehow lessen it but if anything all those elements together improve the viewing experience I think it's a great fucking movie um Bo Ransdell are you a fan of Maniac um I don't know that I'm a fan uh I think this is I I had a sneaky suspicion he was going to do this Doug he's been holding out on us (laughs) I I think I think you guys are right, though, that without Maniac, you don't have a movie like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have a good time watching this movie. It, it, like you said, it, it, you come away from this feeling like there's a sheen of oil on your body. <laughs> it should, it, it's an unpleasant movie. And truth be told, if I were going to watch this or the remake, I would watch the remake because it's a little more polished and all that. And I and I like the remake quite a bit, but the raw uh, you know sincerity of maniac i think is undeniable I, I i don't think it's a good movie i feel like it it just looks and feels a little too amateurish at times i don't i don't think it's a terribly well directed film Ooh. um i think some of the you know like the scene at the at the car uh when he jumps up on the hood and fires the shotgun you know that's certainly effective but there's uh, there's plenty of points in the movie too where i feel like you know this looks like i'm watching a television movie uh Mm. for all intents and purposes but i i do think it is significant i think i i think it's a movie that matters i think it influences things that come after whether it's the the shocking violence of it or for the first time in a horror film that I can recall it I mean even beyond Psycho you're spending time with Norman Bates the entire time Mm. and just getting both barrels no pun intended of (laughs) his insanity and 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 the thing I do enjoy about the movie is those scenes with Carolyn Monroe where he is playing you know the part of the wealthy maybe boyfriend there there's a real tension there of like i know this person is crazy and when is he gonna lose his shit because he can't play normal forever and yeah i like like i said it's not a movie that i go back to a ton i have a lot of respect for it i think it it has more 
more good intention than good execution. But I, uh, yeah, I do, I, I do think that in terms of what is on this list, I would not, I, I would not argue that it shouldn't be on here or anything. It's just not terribly high on my personal list. Mm, interesting, interesting. So on that sour note, thanks, Bo. Um, we have brought to, we brought to conclusion our ten movie reviews. We have reviewed Altered States, The Fog, The Shining, Dressed to Kill, Maniac, Friday the Thirteenth, Cannibal Holocaust, Inferno, The Changeling, and Encounters of the Spooky Kind. We are going to take a very short break. When we come back, we will be deliberating and taking ten movies and leaving with two. All that and more coming right up right after this. This is a test of the emergency podcasting system. Listen to the Psychosemantic Podcast. Politics, movies, and political movies. Find us on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, legionpodcasts.com, the Psychosemantic Podcast. And welcome back. So it's deliberation time, ladies and gents. We are talking down... From 10 movies down to 2, uh, our selections from the reviews previously are All Our States, The Fog, The Shining, Dressed to Kill, Maniac, Friday the 13th, Cannibal Holocaust, Inferno, The Changeling, and Encounters of a Spooky Kind. So what we'll do is we'll try and see if we can discount 5. I think that is very doable here. Um, what we'll do is we will each pick a movie in turn and barring no complaints of said movie being picked, it shall be eliminated. I will kick us off first. Um, I will say that as much as it pains me, I realistically know the writing on the wall is for this movie. It was the first one that was reviewed on the show anyway, and I wanted to get that out pretty quick. I will put forward Inferno to be stricken from the list. Um, Doug, are you okay with that? No arguments here. I mean, it's a it's a wonderful movie. Definitely one that that everyone listening here should see. But uh, yeah, definitely, I think I'm I'm comfortable with it uh, not being at the top two. Cool, Bo. Yeah, I I think that's right. Right, nice. So Inferno is off the list. Okay, we'll swing it to Doug. Doug, you get the choice of a movie to remove. Well, gosh, boy, I, I guess I'll be the spoiler and toss in Friday the thirteenth. Ooh, he's going right in there quick. I love it. Uh, yeah, realistic. Realistically, Friday the Thirteenth wasn't even in my top five. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I would be happy with that. But Ransdell, what do you think? Uh, Cannibal Holocaust, not not a top two film. Right. So you're agreeing that Friday the Thirteenth can be removed? Yeah. Oh shit! Sorry. I jumped ahead. Uh, I know, man. I'm sorry. I jumped the gun. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree that Freddy the Third. Uh, cut all that out. Yeah. I agree that Freddy the Thirteenth <laughs> should not, should not be in the top two. I'm keeping it in because it adds to my mounting case of Bo as a buffoon. Um, so <laughs> just have a whole series of these clips now that eventually I'm going to pass off to some care worker somewhere and get you committed um, but that Bo's like of course I'm not senile what do you mean and then Duncan <laughs> appears with all this evidence recorded 
Like, did he did he just skip right on to Cannibal Holocaust and not answer the Friday the 13th thing? Lock him up, boys. Um, so, yeah, um, I'll, I, I'm happy to go with that as well. Cannibal Holocaust. Me, me too. Let's yeah. chalk it up. Yep. It's uh, fine with Cannibal Holocaust. That's off the list, off the list. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, it's me. Um, <laughs> and I am going with our number 10 pick, Encounters of a Spooky Kind. Um, Doug, okay with that? Oh yeah, I mean we made the case for why it was here, but I'm you know I'm just glad that we were able to talk about it. Yeah, Bo Ransdell, any dissent here? Do you think this should be considered in the top five, knowing that the two of us are saying it could probably not be? Uh no, no. It it in you know on my personal list, it kind of rounds out the bottom. Uh, it's not at the bottom of my, my list. It's sort of the top of the bottom of my list. <laughs> so um, yeah, I. I, I I absolutely think that people should seek it out if anything we said about monkey gods and chicken eggs appeals to you. <laughs> but no, it is not a top two film. Okay, so we've discounted four, which leaves six. We have The Changeling, Maniac, Dressed to Kill, The Shining, The Fog, and Allard States. Now, because it's fair that, you know, um, <laughs> like if, if I swing it out to one of you, the other one won't get a chance to say anything to make the top five. So I will sit back and see if either Doug or Bo wants to present one just off the top of your head right now, it will be considered to be removed. Anyone got any burning ones where we're like, yeah, we can remove this one at this stage? Anyone? I mean, we're, I, I like all the ones that are left quite yeah. a bit. Mm -hmm. I'm in the same boat. Uh, I get a feeling that Bo's probably going to pitch for Maniac though. Yeah, I mean, that's where I land on this is I don't think Maniac is one of the two best. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just the other five films on this list, I, I enjoy more. Although I will say if, if you guys are, you know, burning hard for Maniac, I would be willing to concede Dress to Kill in that slot if you guys feel like i've got dressed to kill be. higher than maniac so me, me too yeah so, <laughs> I do too. I yeah, do too. yeah I, I i will be as much as it pains me because i do think maniac's a fucking amazing movie i i know realistically where it lies on my list um and i i could i could see it go just now without too much pain doug yeah i mean it's there's still movies that are uh, lower on my list that are yet to have been talked about, but yeah, no, I, I'm I'm okay with Maniac being removed. Cool, right? So we've removed five. The five removed are Maniac, Friday the Thirteenth, Cannibal Holocaust, Inferno, and Encounters of a Spooky Kind. Uh, which means that left we have Altered States, The Fog, <laughs> The Shining, Dressed to Kill, um, and The Changeling. At this stage, with five movies left, can we agree on one going through? Um, oh, I think so. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Does anyone want to be as bold as to say the name? Oh, of it? Let's say, um, let's just say The Shining, since that's the one I think that is the clear one that we're all going to agree on. Yeah, The Shining's my number one pick. So yeah, I think um, Bo, unless you disagree. <laughs> yeah, no, I am not going to be the voice <laughs> of dissent <laughs> on on the the fucking Shining. <laughs> Right, so the shining's through. We, we, we let's let's be fair. The, we kind of knew that was going to happen anyway. Which means, <laughs> which means we are left with Alter States, The Fog, Dressed to Kill, and The Changeling. Um, it's up to you guys. If someone feels confident enough to shout one out that they think we, if someone 
thinks he already know, I'm looking at you, Doug. Um, if someone already thinks he know, we could do that. If anyone wants to continue removing titles, um, <laughs> then we could do that as well. Uh, what what, what are we thinking? It's uh, it's unfair, I think, to continue to remove titles because we're all just kind of cutting off our nose despite our face. But let's let's just see if we're all as clearly in agreement as I thought that we were leading into this final segment. I'm going to say to go with The Shining is John Carpenter's The Fog. You have uh, an agreement from me. It's number two on my list. Bo Ransdell. It is also number two on my list. Oh, will you look at that? And The Shining (laughs) are the best movies of 1980. There you go. There we uh, I I actually... To to kind of go into a bit more detail um, as to something we were talking about off air uh, Mm -hmm. was I had forgot about that conversation where you said that you hadn't seen The Fog, uh, Doug, and then you watched it Mm -hmm. and you were like, why have I not seen it this time? And I genuinely thought you you were going to say Dress to Kill Mm. and I honestly thought that when you started talking about dress to kill like as an impassioned way i was going to waver inside with you i thought it is i i have just 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 to interrupt briefly i for my list i did make a top 10 dress to kill is my number three it's my number three as well so uh so i've got yeah the shining the fog dress to kill and number four for me was the changeling which is pretty much um, I had that and Alter States was number five so our top five remaining five was the five that I had so <laughs> turns out yeah mine too turns mine out too. we were all pretty much on the same boat so. well I had Maniac at number four but aside from that <laughs> yeah. turns out we were all I had, pretty much there I, I had Altered States at three that's that's a hometown favorite here sure. uh, and then Dress to Kill and Changeling rounded out my five yeah right there we go so it turns out Doug was right. Maybe we all thought along. And it turns out, look, 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 we were saying, wait, 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 wait. Does that mean that what we said at the start is correct because Doug is famous? Yeah, I knew it. I put it forward. <laughs> Honestly, we just wasted three hours. We could have just said from the beginning, hey, does everyone agree on what the top two were? Yeah, yeah. We- what, what, what did you have as your one and two? <laughs> that's what I had and that's what I had. Well, we just record that and then put it out. Uh, that, that that would have been amazing. We should have done that. We should have done that. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. So moving forward, represent 1980. Listen to how good this sounds, ladies and gents. And I'll tell you right now, the rest of this decade should fucking shit its pants right now because we're coming in with the shining and the fog. Ooh, the gauntlet I mean... has been dropped though. That is uh, talk about your double features. Holy shit! No yeah, that's 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 ridiculous. That's absolutely fucking ridiculous. So yeah, that will be representing 1980. Going to the final list of 20, we have our first two movies: The Shining and The Fog. I could not have done this show without the hard work and dedication of my two guest hosts, who will be coming back. Um, to follow up um, not together they will be separated and working with different hosts which indeed brings it itself went too well yeah, it brings, not allowed to work together anymore yeah it brings its own challenges I don't think either one of the other two recordings will run as smooth as this but that's the nature of the beast so we always have the round table guys we always have the round table um, but these two fine gents have some fantastic shows out there that I love and I think that you would love if you don't listen to them yet. This is the point where I ask them to plug their wares on my show. Doug, you are the famous one um, and you are the, the man that has really been the trendsetter. Now, I, I now 
have a t-shirt that says when I grow up I want to be Doug Tilly uh-huh. um, and I wear it all the time and my wife is not impressed um, but I'm like that if you listen to his show you would fucking understand women um, I'd never say that because she'd hit me um, she would hit me hard uh, don't fuck over a Scottish woman because she like remember when I said Scots hold grudges it's like to the power of ten in a woman like legit, legit. Um, so yeah you have some fantastic shows out there please tell the people where they can check out your awesome content well, you can check out Eric Roberts is the fucking man over at ericrobertsistheman.com. That is a podcast featuring the life and work of actor Eric Roberts. Uh, and uh, you can also find that on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M or do a search for Eric Roberts is the man on Facebook. My other podcast is No Budget Nightmares, focusing on micro budget and ultra low budget cinema. You can find that at nobudgetpodcast.com or on Twitter at nobudgetpodcast. Uh, and all the newest episodes go up on Dorkshelf. Dot com and you can find me on twitter at D- doug underscore tilly that's t-i-l-l-e-y fantastic bo ransdell is a busy busy man he's spinning many many plates and he's not very good at it. um i'll tell you what he is good at doing though not spinning plates but running a podcast network and podcasting bo <laughs> <laughs> see how i did that uh bo please tell the people where they can check out the awesome content that you're producing I don't even know anymore after that <laughs> introduction. No, uh, legionpodcasts.com is where you can find not only the stuff I do, which, uh, you know, is uh, critics have called it tolerable. Um, <laughs> but uh, also a lot of other great shows. Uh, and we're about to we're about to bring on our very first like heavy metal music oriented podcast. Very nice about time. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so yeah, it is, uh, yeah, you can find all that stuff on legionpodcasts.com. You can follow the, uh, the goings on of the network at Legion Podcasts on Twitter and, uh, and please, uh, jump by the Facebook page, uh, easiest found by just, uh, typing out Legion Podcasts and that's going to get you where you want to go. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, gents, I look forward to you both coming back on for another Another rundown of another 10 movies from another year in the 1980s. I'm going to take my final break of this show. When I come back, I'm closing it out right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been episode 148 and whoo, did we not just get through the first episode in a series that will run 10 long covering the top 10 horror movies of the 1980s. This year it looks specifically at 1980 itself and by God what a year it was. Tell it now, that is some awesome movie content and on any given day most of those movies would chart the top of many many lists but there can be only one or two in the case of this one and congratulations to The Shining and The Fog which will represent this year moving forward to the final round table at the end congratulations that movie oh but we have another nine weeks left to go ladies and gents so let me tease you right now on episode 149 of the podcast under the stairs we will be looking at the year 1981 i'll be joined by my guests court psyops from cinema psyops and liam rafferty from scott liam versus evil the 10 movies we will be looking at are the beyond the howling 
Just Before Dawn, An American Werewolf in London, Scanners, Evil Speak, Possession, The Evil Dead, The Burning and Friday the 13th Part 2. I'll go through that list again. We will be looking at The Beyond, The Howling, Just Before Dawn, American Werewolf in London, Scanners, Evil Speak, Possession, The Evil Dead, The Burning and Friday the 13th Part 2. So you have a week to catch up on the movies you've not seen before and brush up on the ones that you have but not in a while because we will be running the train on that list of movies and I'll tell you right now that right there is a contentious episode I've already recorded it I know what happens I know what two movies go through and I'm telling you right now just when you think you know what's going through scratch that off because it ain't it's going to be a controversial one coming up next week huge thanks to my guests Doug Tilly and Bo Ransdell always a pleasure chatting to those two fantastic gents both of them will be appearing on upcoming episodes as part of this series with different co-hosts of interest to see if the dynamic remains will they be up against it with their other ones or will it be another love fest like this episode with unanimous agreement across the board time will tell ladies and gents time will tell as always there's a multitude of ways to check out the podcast under the stairs i say check us out on Apple Podcasts. Super simple, just come across, subscribe to the feed for Podcasts Under the Stairs, that way you get the episodes as and when they drop and access to the entire back catalogue of T Putts content. But while you're there subscribing, leave us a rating and a review. Super important for both of those and they take seconds for you to do. If you leave us a rating, for example, five stars and more of them, we get the higher up the iTunes charts were pushed, so we're more visible for people looking for brand new podcast content. Also, leave us a review. It's your words to new listeners' eyes as to why they should check out our show. What is it that we do that you love? You never know, there might be someone else out there, some other depraved, sick bastard who gets off in the same shit you do. The only one way to find out, put it out there in the ether. It takes seconds for you to do. It doesn't cost you anything. It means the world to us and it's the best way to support this podcast on that medium over there. You can also check out the show on Stitcher Smart Radio, SoundCloud, Google Play and the TuneIn app. But as always, I say, one of the one of the unsung heroes of recommending podcasts is word of mouth. Let your friends know. Let your family know. Let your colleagues know. Let your enemies know. And while you are at high school reunions, we all have them. When you're at your next high school reunion, why don't you take a couple of seconds, go up to someone that you used to know that you don't talk to anymore, or someone that you never spoke to, someone who bullied you, or someone you bullied, and let them know to check out the podcast under the stairs. That, ladies and gents, is how you do word of mouth. You can also check out the show on the social medias. Facebook at our group page, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast or go to our page, our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash tputzcast. The page is where we're going to be doing all our live streaming content and uh, certainly most of the merch is going to be publicised through there. While the group page is still for the community to engage, we're going to be posting shows there, doing polls, talking about the movies we're on uh, that we love watching, all that fun shit still happening over there, but the actual page itself is just for the posts of the podcast, and of course, live stream content. If you want to see Thursday Thursdays and take part in that, you need to be part of that page, facebook.com forward slash t putts cast you can interact with the baz and the twin prongs of social media sexiness instagram and twitter both at at t putts cast visit our website t you can click the merch tab there or go to our merch page t putts cast 
www.bigcartel.com where we are selling posters and pins. Sold a couple of posters recently. Thank you to the few, the brave and the proud, who bought themselves some teapots posters. They are in the mail on their way over to you. So I hope you enjoy them and I look forward to seeing pictures when they arrive. Let us know they arrive safe and sound and where you put them on your wall. Always exciting to see where they end up on the wall. Right, I think that is us done, ladies and gents. That is one for the ages. The first one out the way. Nine years left to go in the decade. 90 movies still to discuss. Welcome to my hell. <laughs> um, wherever you are, ladies and gents, whatever the time zone is, and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. I love you all, and I wish nothing but good things for you for the rest of the week. Until I speak to you on Thursday when I return with a bonus episode, this is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs, and I am signing off. <laughs>